You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get it right. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> there, this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Me! 17th, baby. Yes. I, I'm a little out there today. Been dealing with a lot of crap in the world, but we are here. We are the Sports Lamas. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week including our show, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great shows, great content, great guests. Listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to the website. Speedy, what's up, man? Uh, my grandmother finally came home after, after she found out um, Sunday. So uh, it was mostly uh, grieving with her a lot. She, she was telling a lot of stories Sunday and Tuesday. But good positivity on Saturday, though. I get to enjoy your party. I uh, met some guys for the first time, too, including Leaf, who's been in our comment section a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, your friend Mike that drove, up, drove us there was a very nice guy as well. Very cool guy and had a lot of fun there. Yes, uh, we had a lot of fun for my birthday, which was about two and a half, three weeks ago. I celebrate it usually two weeks after my birthday. I, I want to get everybody involved, so I invite like 50, 60 people, 40, 35 people show up. We party. We have a good time. It's the only time of year I actually drink. <laughs> yep. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank all the people that came out, everybody, all my friends, family, everybody that came out and just to celebrate my birthday. I really appreciate all you guys. Uh, you guys are fantastic. You're the best. So thank you. To everybody that came out, I, I had an oppor- I had an opportunity yesterday to uh, go and visit my niece uh, who just was born about uh, what was it five days ago. Uh, so she's five days old. She's a little peanut. I had the opportunity to hold her last night. I posted up on social media. It is a great feeling. As always, every time a niece or a nephew is born, this is the fifth. It's it's crazy. I don't even have kids. And I experienced being an uncle five times. It, and and holding them for the first time is, is one of the best feelings in the world. So uh, congratulations to my sister, Samantha, on the birth of um, a, a beautiful, beautiful baby girl. So uh, Eliana. So she's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful girl. 730. We will be talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jensen. And at 8 o'clock, we will be talking to former Sabres and Senators winger Rob Ray, friend of the show, uh, a guy that really loves our show. The last time he was on our show was about, I would say, about a year and a half ago. No, it was even longer. It was right at the start of the COVID playoffs. That's right. And yeah. he, he absolutely loved coming on our show. And we, you know, we, we kind of held back 
I'm bringing him on the show. I'm just kidding. But, but, uh, He's an enforcer. You can't hold that. No, but uh, <laughs> he, he'll definitely enforce a lot of things on tonight's show, I'm sure, as uh, we have a lot, to, a lot of hockey to get into and a lot of stuff uh, that he's been doing off the ice since he's retired. So um, looking forward to getting Rob back on the show and Cam for the first time on our show. Another so. enforcer, too. Yes. Uh, Knicks get eliminated by the Heat. Six games. Six games to eliminate the New York Knicks. A team that was better on paper, stacked from top to bottom, and I blame a lot, a lot, on Mr. Bricklayer himself, Julius Randle. We'll get into that in just a few moments. Grizzlies suspend John Moran indefinitely from, I will say this, and I'm, I'm going to throw this. We all know he's suspended for all activities, but why? Why would you be waving a gun on social media? You know all this stuff that you've been accused of for the last two years. Why would you be on social media waving a gun around with one of your friends? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, this guy needs a lot of help. I, I don't know what the Grizzlies are going to do with him. I would trade him in the offseason if you get something for him. I just don't think this kid is learning. I th- I think he's going to put himself in a really bad bad situation. We've seen this from a lot of great athletes that never achieved their goals. As good as they were, they never really got to the top because of their stupidity. So he could be one of them. Monty Williams and Doc Rivers fired from their respectable teams. Where do they head? Uh, are one of these guys the next New York Knicks head coach? I hope not, but... Um, both guys, Monty Williams, who is very well respected around the league. If you know the story about his wife and, uh, it's, he has been a good face of, I guess the, the Phoenix Suns over the last couple of years. And unfortunately Phoenix wanted to move on with the talent that they had, maybe because of Chris Paul's injury, they, they couldn't move on against the Nuggets. Who knows? But, uh, is Chris Paul going to retire in the off season? That's another question that. Only the Phoenix Suns could answer in the next couple of weeks. Spurs win the NBA draft lottery. I have a lot to say about this. And this is why I think the NBA is rigged. Could you imagine drafting, getting the number one pick in how many how many decades? In 1987, you get David Robinson. In 19, was it 97, 98? 97. You get Tim Duncan. And now... You have the opportunity to get this kid who is a must-see. I don't know what you say. He's been the he's the best prospect since LeBron James. That's how good this kid is. And he's going to the Spurs. It makes me sick to my stomach. Josh Harris. Uh, jo- Josh Harris uh, finalizes the sale to buy the Commanders for about $6 billion. Not surprised. Saquon Barkley reportedly turned down a contract worth about $14 million per year at, with incentives. Uh, we will get into Let's Parlay uh, as our top handicappers will be on the show. And uh, we will get into Bracket Wars as tonight we, we argue the number two seed 1980s Oilers versus the number one seed, 1990s Yankees. And the number three seed, 2010s Blackhawks versus the number one seed, uh, the late 90s Bulls. So we will get into that. Um, We are going to be adding a segment uh, throughout the next couple of weeks called All Righty Then. So uh, that will be added uh, probably in the next, I would say next week. It's going to be fun and we're going to use it for every single guest that we have on the show. So it will be 
a lot of different questions that we're going to ask him. It's going to be fun. So I, I kind of thought of this segment. I think it will throw a lot of people, including our guest, a curveball. So I'm looking forward to adding this uh, to our show. So why don't we get into some basketball? There's a lot to get into uh, with basketball. And I know Jeff is saying the Yankees are cheaters. But, uh, you know, Jeff is the New York hater. Uh, he's the Boston fan that will sit here and love to take shots at everybody but his Boston Celtics. Uh, he did everything he could to protect his Boston Bruins before they got eliminated. And uh, what's next? If somehow the Red Sox squeak into the playoffs and, and they get into the ALCS, uh, they're the next thing since sliced bread. So we, we all know about Jeff and how much he loves his Boston teams. The New York Knicks failed once again to get out of a second round. This has been a problem for the New York Knicks. They, this is the first time since, if I'm not mistaken, the 2013-2014 Knicks with Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, and that 54-win team. And Julius Randle, who was all-NBA player this year again, again, doesn't show up in the playoffs when you need him. It's been a huge problem since the day the Knicks re-signed him. Now, I'm not blaming this all on Julius Randle. Because there's a lot of aspects of this series that you can point out that hurt the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau did not out-coach Spolstra. Spolstra was the better coach. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA. He proved it again. That he is a better all-around coach than Tom Thibodeau. But you see, Quigley, he couldn't do anything in this series. It, it, it took a while for Quigley to figure things out against the Cavaliers in the, the, the later half of that series. Obi Toppin, he's had problems throughout this series on shooting. And he's been he was really, really good against the Cavaliers. He wasn't as good as he was against the Cleveland Cavaliers, against the Miami Heat, maybe because Miami's a better defensive team, a better team uh, all around. My problem against the Knicks in this series was you you played against a team that had two G-level players on your roster. Miami played two G-level players. In the playoffs, the Knicks' talent from top to bottom, even their bench, all season long, was one of the best benches in the league. As a matter of fact, Quigley was runner-up for sixth man of the year. As we all know, the Boston Celtics Brogdon won it. But Quigley was one of the best players off the bench in the league all season long. Couldn't do anything in the playoffs. Yes, he hurt his ankle in the Miami Heat series, and he didn't play the last game or last two games. That didn't mean or didn't mean a difference to the way the Knicks played throughout that series. The second half of every single game, Miami outplayed the Knicks. The Knicks had problems keeping the ball in bounds. R.J. Barrett made mistakes. Julius Randle made mistakes. Emmanuel Quigley made mistakes. 
Obi Toppin made a lot of a lot of lousy mistakes throughout that series. The only player that played every single game with his heart and soul, especially on his sleeve, was Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson showed everybody that this guy is the real deal, that this guy is a superstar player, that he will be the face of this generational Knicks team moving forward. It's not Julius Randle. It's not Obi Toppin. It's not R.J. Barrett. The one thing Leon Rose did in the offseason last year, besides bringing in the best acquisition in the offseason in Jalen Brunson, he re-signed R.J. Barrett to a, a, a friendly deal, a Knicks-friendly deal. Mitchell Robinson got a four-year extension, a friendly deal for the New York Knicks. What the Knicks position themselves to do in the offseason this year is they have to move on from Fournier. They have to move that contract. They don't have a first-round draft pick after the lottery last night. They were one pick away from getting the 11th pick, which would have been Dallas's. If Dallas, is, if Dallas didn't get in the top 10, it would have been the Knicks' pick. The Knicks have no luck ever in the lottery. Never. So they don't have a first-round draft pick, and they don't have a second-round draft pick this year. You look at the Knicks right now, and you put the Knicks in a situation this offseason. They have to find their number two guy. Julius Randle is not the guy. The Knicks have made it a priority over the last couple of years to make Julius Randle happy. But he has done nothing for this team in the playoffs. Yes, he's a fantastic regular season player. You look at his numbers, he's averaging 24, 25, and almost 10, and 7. Fantastic numbers in the regular season. It doesn't work in the playoffs. And you look at where the Knicks are today. They're in a very good spot. As a matter of fact, this might be the best spot the Knicks have been in in over 15 years. You have all these contracts that you can move in the offseason. You could trade off these chip pieces like R.J. Barrett, like uh, a Mitchell Robinson. And now you're hearing that Giannis might want out. I don't, I don't believe this to be true, but if Giannis wants out, he could be an unbelievable move for the New York Knicks this offseason. Luka Doncic, he's not happy with Dallas. We all know about the clown over there who's not going to resign with that team next year. And there's not many good free agents. Speedy, we were looking at the free agent market this year for the NBA. It's not good. So where does Dallas go? They're getting the 10th pick. They're not getting a top five pick. It's a hit and miss when it comes to the NBA draft after the top five. Dallas is not going to be good this year. Why would Luka want to be there? Now, I don't know if Mark Cuban is willing to move his superstar player, his franchise player, but the same thing with Milwaukee. Is Milwaukee willing to trade away their franchise player? No, and even if they are, is that are the Knicks the top team to get one of those players? Probably not. 
There's a lot of questions on what the Knicks should do this offseason that can make this team better. And here's one. They have to move on from Tom Thibodeau. They have to. Tom Thibodeau has taken the Knicks as far as he possibly can. They cannot win with Tom Thibodeau. And with Budenholzer available, with Nurse being available, I would look at Monty Williams. I think the coach in basketball is a very important piece to a team and to a franchise. And the development of these young players. They need to bring in a coach. Kenny Atkinson, if he's available, if he doesn't go to Milwaukee, he is a perfect coach. He's a New York representative. You saw what he did with the Nets. You saw what he did with the young players. Karis LeVert and Allen. He developed these players. Spencer Dinwiddie. He helped Spencer Dinwiddie become the player that he became. The Knicks need to look in the offseason on where this franchise is going. They're set up very well. Leon Rose made one of the best deals in the offseason, bringing in Jalen Brunson on a very affordable contract. Jalen Brunson right now is going to make $32.5 million next year. He is a top five point guard in the NBA. He's proven himself this year averaging almost 24 points. He is a top five point guard. You're paying a top five point guard $32.5 million for the next three seasons. This is a chance for the Knicks to build around their superstar player in Jalen Brunson. The question is, are they going to bring the right players in to take this team to the next level? Yeah, the good contracts are definitely going to help that because R.J. Barrett still showed some promise, even though there was issues in the playoffs. And Mitchell Robinson, same kind of thing. He was great in that Cleveland series. He was just down in the Miami series, but he still has a lot of upside. Offensive rebounding leader in the NBA this season. The Knicks were the offensive rebounding team leader. And they still have a lot of other guys they could trade. They could definitely make something like that happen. I think Luka Doncic is probably more likely than Giannis, but I definitely... I think Giannis is more likely than Luka Doncic. I I can't see Mark Cuban uh, parting ways with his superstar. This guy is all about himself. Do you really think Mark Cuban will just say sayonara to Luka Doncic? I can't see it. He will do anything to make Luka happy. I could see Milwaukee moving on from Giannis because Chris Middleton is a free agent this year. They're probably going to move on from Chris Middleton. I don't think they're bringing him back. Uh, and, And to me, this team... Besides Middleton and Drew Holiday, who was an all-world defensive player this year, I think he was first-team defensive point guard in the NBA, he's a piece you can move. Giannis and Drew Holiday are the only two pieces they really could move this offseason to rebuild this team. I also think with Luka Doncic, though, he's another one that hasn't had that like big decision yet with this team. And we've seen Mark Cuban try to bring in guys to help him out. They tried Kyrie Irving this year. Epic fail. They tried Kristaps Porzingis for the trade from the Knicks, who still have the draft pick. Uh, not going to be this year. Going to be next year now. But they tried that. Epic fail. I, I don't know how much they could trust the organization. That's why I think he, as a player, might want out more. You're right. Cuban might have a bigger say. But I do think Luka Doncic, especially in a player-run NBA, is going to have that say. As far as the Knicks itself, yeah, I'm done with Julius Randle. They better explore that as trade number one they have to prioritize right now he went back to 2021 Julius Randle in so many games in this series he was under 15 points in two of them you cannot have that you can win in the NBA with two consistent scorers in the playoffs and be able to get away with just role players Jalen Brunson was that one guy who was that other guy it was supposed to be Julius Randle it was not RJ Barrett had his moments fine some of the young players had their moments but they weren't consistent enough Julius Randle had to be consistent he wasn't I I sit here today and, and we look at where the Knicks roster is going to be next year 
there could be a completely different roster on this basketball court for the New York Knicks next year. Fournier's gone. Derrick Rose will be gone. Those are contracts they're going to try to move in the offseason. Derrick Rose is a free agent, and Fournier has another two years left on the contract. So they're going to have to figure out a way to move him. Fournier already said he doesn't want to be back here. So they might have to give up one of their first-round draft picks next year because they, they don't have any firsts this year or seconds. So they'll have to move Fournier's contract. And then some of these youngsters, even though the Knicks want to build around the youth, the Obi Toppins, the Quickleys, and the Grimes, you can't re-sign all of these guys. You're going to have to move on from at least one of them. And, and obviously, when you look at Mitchell Robinson, Mitchell Robinson's a great center. He really is. He can play power forward on another team or center. He's a good block. He's a good blocker. He's also a very good offensive rebounder. As a matter of fact, he was the best offensive rebounding player in the NBA this year. Here's the problem. He couldn't be the offensive rebounder in the regular season in the playoffs. And that was a big problem for the New York Knicks. They didn't get the dominance on the boards like you expected against the Miami Heat, who had problems. They lost Tyler Hero for the playoffs. Losing a significant player that you overpaid in the offseason last year, you lose a, a three-point shooter like that, you would think that the Knicks had the advantage. And the Knicks couldn't shoot a three. That's another thing the Knicks need to look for next year, is they need to find a three-point, a three-point specialist. That's a big problem throughout the season they have had. They cannot go into the paint and dominate in the paint and not have any shooters on the outside. This has been a huge problem. And when you have Obi Toppin shooting threes, who, let's be honest, he's okay for a guy his size. He's, what, a 31% three-point shooter? Right. That's not good enough. You need a guy that's going to be a 38 40% three-point shooter. And everybody's going to say, well, what about Julius Randle? He was pretty good this year. He, I think he shot 37%. Julius Randle... Go look at his three-point shooting in the playoffs. In his th last three times in the playoffs. They're hard. It's horrible. It's under 28%. Julius Randle literally had a game. I think it was game three. One of the games he was horrible in where he shot under 30% as a field goal percentage. So that is, says everything you need to know about Julius Randle. Yes, he has his big games, but they're only in volume. The Grizzlies obviously suspend John Moran indefinitely from all team activities after being seen with a gun. On an Instagram live video. Here's the story guys. John Moran is an idiot. There is no controlling this kid anymore. This is the third time in three years. He has been caught with a loaded gun. Two this year alone. Now I don't know if this gun was loaded. But when you're waving a gun on Instagram live. When there are kids and, and young people following you and looking up to you, it's not only embarrassing to you and your family, it's embarrassing to the Memphis Grizzlies organization because they can't control their own players. And this guy isn't a sixth man or a seventh man off the bench. This is your superstar player. This is one of the top ten players in the NBA right now. And when this guy is acting like a complete lunatic off the court. And I know we, we've spoken about different NBA players that have been caught in the locker room with guns, loaded guns. And people took it to the heart when they did it. And, and they've been in a lot of trouble. Raymond Felton from the New York Knicks was caught with a gun, loaded gun. He was in a lot of trouble in North Carolina. 
And now John Morant, which I understand Memphis, if I'm not mistaken, you can carry a loaded gun without a license over there. Nevertheless, you're an NBA player making millions and millions and millions of dollars. And nobody's going to attack him on how much money he's making. But guess what? You know who's putting that money in your pocket? From the owners? The fans. The fans are buying your jerseys. The fans are buying your sneakers. The fans are paying your salary. And you're embarrassing yourself. Making yourself look like like a complete fool. And you, you want to know something? Adam Silver has let these, fa- these players run around rampant. He's let this go on long enough with John Morant. He should, susp- he should be suspended for half the season. If anybody remembers the whole Ron Artest thing, he didn't pull out a gun. He didn't threaten people or dance around with a gun at a strip bar. He beat up a fan at the Palace against the Detroit Pistons. He was suspended for 80 games. 80 games. This was a one-time thing. He didn't beat up everybody. He beat up one fan. He attacked one fan. And the NBA, David Stern, suspended him for 80 games. John Morant, Adam Silver now, the commissioner of the NBA, is letting these guys prance around and think that they're bigger than the name. The NBA, the label, their organization. It's an embarrassment. You don't see NHL players doing that. Have you seen an NHL player carry... Have you heard anything over the last two years of an NHL player carrying around a loaded gun? No. Seriously. You don't see Gary... And if Gary Bettman found out that somebody was carrying around a gun in the stadiums or any of that magnitude, they would be fined and suspended. Adam Silver, for some reason. Look look what Goodell has done to players. Yep. You're smoking marijuana. You're going to be suspended. If you're caught a second time, you're suspended for the whole season. To put it in perspective, Josh Gordon got suspended for the whole season for marijuana. Meanwhile, John Morant, for carrying a gun in a nightclub, only got an eight-game suspension. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Kyrie Irving, anti-Semitic views, attacks to the Jews. Oh, smack on the wrist. Nine-game suspension. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Attacking a race, attacking, attacking people's views about the Holocaust because of a video and promoting it on social media. Well, that's okay. Kyrie Irving thinks the earth is flat. That's okay. You know what? You know what I believe Adam Silver should do? He should have all these players go to school in the offseason. Yeah, I actually have a counseling program that isn't more than a week and actually have a counseling program that might actually have an impact because it doesn't seem like, the, like you said earlier, John Moran has learned anything. Like, whatever they're doing is something wrong. Now, obviously, John Moran has to take all this responsibility, too. He has to learn himself. You're not going to be able to have just one class be able to change everything. But still, I don't think the NBA has really done a good job at pushing it either and trying to get these players to be just, like, good human beings. It's an embarrassment. It is an embarrassment. And Adam Silver has a lot to do with it. Now... I like Adam Silver. I met Adam Silver years ago, before he became the commissioner of the NBA. Very nice guy. As a matter of fact, when he became the commissioner, I thought he was the best commissioner in sports. Until he let LeBron James run the league. Ever since LeBron James has you know, made demands and have done things on and off the court that makes you shake your head, you just put a finger on LeBron James, he's at the free throw, free throw line. 
And that's because he's LeBron James. I've seen Michael Jordan get powerbombed by Shaquille O'Neal in a game, and they didn't call a foul. You hit LeBron James in the head, ah, flagrant one. This is sports. I understand you, you want to protect people's brains and their heads. CTE. We all know about this. We've had so many people on the show refusing to talk about it because they know that these leagues have not supported the fact that CTE has really taken over professional sports for a lot of athletes. But you see this situation right now with the NBA. Adam Silver was thinking about leaving the NBA and taking over for Disney. Why? Maybe he knows something that we don't. Maybe he knows that the players run the NBA now and him being the commissioner means nothing. I don't know. But the NBA is in a bad position with this John Morant thing. John Morant is one of the best players in the world. And when you have one of your best players, one of your faces of your organization doing stupid things off the basketball court like this, not only is it a, it's embarrassing, you're going to lose endorsements. You're going to lose advertisers because a lot of these advertisers and endorsements endorsing the NBA is endorsing children. Who watches these games besides middle-aged people and old people? The, it's the new age, the children, the 8-year-olds, the 9-year-olds, the 12-year-olds that want to be the next Steph Curry, the, the next John Morant or Kyrie Irving or LeBron James. That's the way the sports world works now. Who buys their jerseys? So, and, and, and the NBA is not about teams anymore. It's about players. Fantasy sports has changed everything. Yeah. Betting has changed everything. I walk up to a kid right now that's nine years old, and I ask him, what team do you root for? I like Steph Curry. <laughs> what team do you root for? I like Steph Curry. So you're a Golden State Warrior fan? No. I'm a, I'm a Steph Curry fan. I, I guarantee you, you walk up to a, 10 kids right now from the ages of 8 to 15. 8 to 15. And you ask them, what team do you root for? I would say 8 or 9 of them will tell you of player, not a team. It's not like it used to be. I am a diehard Knicks fan. I will always be a Knicks fan. Jeff, the idiot over here, will always be a Boston Celtic fan. Because he grew up a Boston Celtic fan. No matter how much he likes a player, he loves his team. It's not like that anymore. Professional sports is not like that anymore. And that becomes everything from advertisements and endorsing those players. And when you have a player holding out and, and playing with guns off the court and posting it up on social media, it makes... Your organization look like they can't control their own players. When we come back, we will be talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jensen here on the Sports Lab Mouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speeder. Yes, Mr. Speedy. 
Petey. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Game on on Fridays at 6 p.m. with Josh Silverberg. Um, we have the Wise Guys, which airs usually Monday, Mondays or Fridays. I don't know. Whenever Trey decides he wants to post up his show. But uh, Trey's one of the interesting ones. And our Buffalo Bills show will be starting up in the next couple of weeks as well. As the football season OTAs are about to start in a couple of weeks. But it's a hockey day, baby. It's the NHL playoffs. And why not have an all-hockey show? As we have our first guest on waiting to come on. And now, for the first time on the Sports Lamouse, we are now talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jensen. I have a cat right next to me. It's <laughs> like chews on my wires, so hopefully you guys can hear me. Is it purring? <laughs> oh, yeah. She's always purring next to me. I've had, she's like 16 years old, man. Are you married? I played, uh, are you married? first time with the Devils in like 05. <laughs> are you married? <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm a married man. I don't have any kids. We have animals. We chill. <laughs> We live on a golf course. We golf, but we're terrible. But we don't, like, uh, slow down the pace of play. So we're not, you know, jackasses. Well, I'm a jackass, and that's why you're on this show. Uh, As everybody knows, we are talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jensen. Cam, before we get into the NHL and your career, and then we'll go through what you think of the NHL now from when you were playing, well, how are you and your family doing with COVID-19? I mean, a lot of crazy stuff going on over the last couple of years with now flus and all this crap. And you have to you're, you have to take shots. You have to wear masks. How are you and your family doing with that? Uh, COVID really didn't rock us that bad. Um, it, you know, dealing with every everyday life, uh, work and stuff like that was bizarre for people, whether their, you know, their loved ones had COVID or their business got shut down or kids stuff. And it just was, it rocked the world. Mm-hmm. So everybody was affected in a way, but as far as COVID death, like I, I, <laughs> we were okay with my family and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, bizarre. Nonetheless, hopefully it never happens. Hopefully we've learned from a lot of things um, that we uh, did wrong or, um, you know, just little things like that, but very bizarre. I'm okay. And actually now I'm like, I, I kind of forgot about it. To be honest <laughs> with you. I never forget about what happened over the last couple of I years. I try to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, people I were locking themselves in their closets, okay? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there was so much crazy stuff going on around the world. It wasn't just here in the United States. Everywhere. But everywhere. And yeah. being that if you live in a liberal state, forget it. They took it to a whole nother level. L.A., New York. Oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It really was. But, hey, guess what? Life is life. We're happy that we're alive. So why Learn don't we from it? Yes. Learn from it. Listen, I'm, you know I'm learning I mean? right now. I'm sitting here That's right it. now talking That's how to you. you can do. See how they made the mistakes and just, you know, learn from it. Well, you know Hopefully what? they do. I mean, maybe, maybe you learned some dancing while, while COVID was going on. Did you, you take any classes? Uh, did you learn how to do the trots or something like that? I, I tried to golf. I got, I'm sitting back here. Kate and I moved in this house a couple of years ago. And like everybody thinks that you're a hockey player, that you're, you're going to be good at golf. I, I got into it when I was young. My parents never got into it. But when I, when I was young playing hockey, hanging out with all the hockey guys, they're like, Kim, come play golf. And I wasn't that good. And I didn't take it seriously. But now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, gosh, I got to, like, figure out my groove. Because, you know, we're, it, people expect you to be good. So that's what I do. And I still skate with, like, the Blues alumni. I'm still in St. Louis. I live kind of, like, 40 miles out mm. in a little area. But I, I, we hang, all the alumni hang out together. 
you know, I got my radio show in the morning. I got a podcast. Look I golf. You. I chill. I hang with the puppies. I watch <laughs> hockey. I chirp here and there. That's what I do. You man. chirp? That's did something. you did you learn that in St. Louis? What's that? <laughs> Chirping. Chirping. No, you know how I learned how to chirp? Playing hockey with big dogs at a young age mm. and having a big mouth, mm. and then they put me in my spot, and I'm like, oh God, help me! And then when you're young and you think you're cool. Cause you're fighting guys all the time. Some of the other guys got to put you in your spot mm. and there's always chirping going on in the locker room. So you become witty, you become, you just know the game, you know how to take different chirps, you know how to, you know, defend yourself at the right time. It's all a game. And I think that helps out now later on in life when you do radio and you're doing radio with guys and you're kind of chirping each other back and forth mm. because you're disagreeing on things or whatnot. So it all works out, man. But I took a beating when I was young because mm. I was always playing with older guys. Well, 774 uh, penalty minutes. Uh, I mean, uh, that, that sells enough, you know? I mean, you did a lot of chirping because you were sitting in that box for a long, long time. So uh, I was pretty good with that, though, man. Like, I never, <laughs> like, I would have to calm guys out. Like, I think guys knew, like, I'll go you. Like, mm-hmm. don't mess around. You give, them, you give them that warning. But I wasn't Sean Avery or, you know, even Stevie Ott, who I love. Uh, Rob Ray? I, I would chill. And guys didn't really chirp me either, and they could have easily, and they didn't do it. So I kind of like the respect value out of that. But, you know, they knew I, like, I wanted to do my thing. And if I'm out there, which was limited, and, the, you know, the guys <laughs> are making a lot of money, they can beak all they want. But, like, if I'm out there with you, I might catch you with your head down. <laughs> but I respected everybody, really. I don't have any – like, we have all these guys on all the time. Like, I, I, I never really had a bad moment with, with too many guys. And there was some crazy stuff going on, so – Nine years in the NHL, 336 games. I wouldn't say that you barely played. You played enough. Nine-year career is, is a pretty good hockey career. Uh, usually the mediocre hockey players only play five years and usually either play in the AHL and, and eventually retire at a young age. But you played nine years, so that's a significant amount of time. Tell us a little bit about your career. You were obviously drafted by the New Jersey Devils. And then you went on to St. Louis, and then you finished your career back with New Jersey. What was it like playing in the NHL, playing for two of these franchises, a New Jersey Devils team that was run by Lou Lamorello, who now runs the Islanders, and then going to St. Louis, a very run, very well-run organization for, for a very, very long time, and, and succeeding over there? Well, I'm from, like, Eureka, Missouri, man. Mm-hmm. And I was the first one, really. And, and, and the Blues have been here since 67, so they – people knew hockey because they love the blues. They didn't know the game and not too many people played in the seventies and eighties. Brad Hall came into town mm-hmm. in the early nineties, late eighties. All my generation got obsessed with him. He was everywhere. He was the coolest thing ever scoring 80 goals, he had long hair. Women loved them. <laughs> Men loved them. Everybody loved Holly. And we got like, we all of these hockey guys that grew up with me that made the NHL from St. Louis were obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one made the NHL yet. You had this team here since 67, the blues, not one kids made the NHL yet. And finally I, from Eureka, Missouri, I moved to Canada to play in Windsor. I did everything I was supposed to do. And it was just like, what do we do? Me and my dad were like, what do we do? Oh, I will go to Canada. <laughs> what, what's up there? You know, Eskimos. I had no idea. Honestly, had no idea. And you live with a billet family and it all worked out, but I was the first one to make it. And then all these other kids started making all the kids I grew up playing with. They started making it. And then you got the Kachucks and the draft, the other, you know, you know, uh, whatever that was, how was it, uh, 17 or whatever it was when Matthew and Logan Brown and 
seven guys from St. Louis made it in the first round. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But my point is to wrap this in a bow, Brett Hall started everything. I got there first and then everybody came in and now you got superstars out the wazoo. So it was all about Cam Jansen. You're telling me it was because of Cammy. Cammy first goes to the team and then everybody. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because of Brett Hall. It's because of Brett Hall. I squeaked my way in before. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Like and Bullock and Patty Maroon. I just, Lou called me up right away. And I'm like, okay. So it was like 2005. Lou Lamoureux was like, get up here. We were loaded. We are deep. And they, mm. you know, they got rid of Langdon and Oliwa. Yep. And Lou called me up. And I was, I was like, okay. First one. Well, you're a Lou type of player. He likes those gritty players. He likes those yeah, guys yeah. that are going to throw the body and, and do the things that you need to do to be a hockey player. So uh, that's why Lou loved you. And, and then you can see what Lou is trying to build in Long Island. He's trying to yeah. build a gritty team, a veteran team. And that's what he did over there in New Jersey. Listen, Lou, I needed him. I was cocky. I wanted to go out. I wanted to party. I worked my ass off. Like I would always work out, like hardcore workouts, stick handle, do whatever I need to do. Boxing, blah, blah, blah. I did all that. But I was wild. And I needed to be drafted by the Devils for myself to succeed. I needed to be under his realm. And I needed him to stare at me in the locker room <laughs> and know what I did the night before. I needed that. It forced me to be disciplined and always think that, hey, hockey's first. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Don't worry about the girls. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about partying. Don't worry about being cool. Hockey, hockey, hockey. He's watching you in a good way. And I, God, I needed that. My mom and dad, because I, be, I started making money at 18. They mm-hmm. signed me early. Like I was kind of like I was doing my thing. I was playing in Canada at a young age. So I was just like in my own world. And my mom and dad at the time couldn't control me. And I needed Lou. And he did. And although I did crazy things, but still, you know, it helped me so much being drafted by the Devils more than any other team because of Lou Lamarillo. Yeah, so I don't ask about that Devils team. You were, a lo- you were one of the tough guys along with Scott, Scott Stevens, who was one of the toughest guys in the league at that time, and Martin Brodeur. So that whole that whole team, that your first stint there with the Devils in the 2000s, what were some of those players like and really that whole defense and that toughness identity? Well, I went to camp with Scotty was just winding down when I was getting camping. I got drafted in 2002. He won. They won the cup in 2003, so they're like the best team to be drafted by. They're like the best in the league. Like you're going to the Stanley Cup winning team. Like they're loaded. And uh, walking in that locker room was so intimidating because in juniors, you're playing the best league in Canada in juniors. And I didn't even know what it was when I was in Eureka, but you get drafted by this team in Canada and you go live there, and now you're in the spotlight. And um, if you succeed there and get drafted and sign when you're still in that league, like you could do whatever you want. Like no one had control over me. I knew I was going playing pro, whether it's in the AHL or the show one way or the other. So I had, so I was just like, ah, you know, just cocky. Then you get into a locker room where they just won the Stanley cup and you have studs in there and Marty Berdor and like, Cowan White and Jamie Langenberg and Patrick Eliash and all these guys. And you're like, Whoa, I, well, these guys are the real deal. Like, who cares? Maybe I was cool in juniors. <laughs> this is big dog stuff. I need to I need to talk to these guys and listen to them and, you know, be here first and make sure they know that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, like I'm, I'm worthy of them. You know what I mean? We are talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jansen. These names, how do they stick out to you? Chris Simon, Dale Hunter, Bob Probert. 
Donald Brashear, Clark Gillies, Ty Domi, Dave Schultz. What do these names stand out for you when you came into the NHL? Well, a lot of them were way earlier than me. Mm-hmm. But I knew who they were. But the first thing I think of, great guys. Like, I've talked to all those guys. Most of them. You know what I mean? Like, you you always run across some of these. They're always good guys. Whether they're wild on the ice, they're pretty 99% time, if you really get to know these guys, they're really nice and sweet and like loving and you'd never under, you would never think that but truly that's the case so that's the first thing but they're also killers they were mean want to knock you out you know want to hit you when you're down and hurt you oh yeah there's some bad bad boys in that group man and a lot of those guys i i was too young to fight i love taidomi you know, like he's a, he calls me. He's it's a good guy. Like he, he truly is. Like he'll give you, you know, like advice on things. He's been through everything. I could call him and be like, "Hey, dude, hey man, I'm gonna. Like, what do you think of this?" And he would just talk to you for an hour. Like that's the kind of guy. Most of those guys are the guys I know. I, I'm telling you, but they went through some hardcore times. They, you know, it's very stressful to, to do that. Everybody's like, "Oh, you're in the NHL," but it was honestly. Really, really stressful. Even if some of those guys are six foot five, six six, and they look mean as hell, it takes a toll on your mind, dude. It truly does. So you got to give them respect, man. The word enforcer, the definition of enforcer, a person who imposes their will by violence and intimidation. Where do you fit in with that definition of enforcer? I'm a psycho, man. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm five eleven, dude. Like I'm not big. I had to fight everybody that was bigger than me. I had to fight guys that were sixty pounds heavier than me. So it's not like I, 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 I'd always you always act tough on the ice, but I've never. I don't want to hit guys when they're down. I would catch guys with their head down and hit them awkwardly, man. <laughs> put them down. But you feel bad about it. But I'm doing my thing. But I'd fight anybody. But I wasn't. The big six foot five guy walking in. No, I'm five eleven, dude. Five eleven. You're five when eleven. I have to go against the monsters. It's not just like I'm gonna go talk. No, I have to like figure out a strategy against them and fight for two and a half minutes. So like I was in my own little element with that. But, I like I like that. I like that. You, know, you, are, you it's perfect. I was five eleven. Good. So it's not five eleven, you're five eleven. Five eleven, dude. There you go. <laughs> well, if you look at all the other heavies, man, they're monsters. And Ty Domi's another exception. Yes. Not many other guys are. Mm-hmm. When you, especially when you get to my era, when you had Bugard and McIntyre cruising around. Mm-hmm. Rob Ray. <laughs> Razor was Razor was like six one, but he was big. Mm-hmm. Like he was thick. He was tougher than hell. Mm-hmm. Ah. But Rob Ray, he'll he'll tell you, and we, we're going to have him on after you. He'll tell you when he came into the league, he was a goal scorer. They transitioned him into an enforcer because they had goal scorers over there with the Sabres. So they needed somebody to, 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 to stick up for these players. And being that he was rough, he was a roughneck, he was tough, they transitioned him into the enforcer role. And he, he had a long career, 13, 14 years in the NHL. Because of that, it changed his career. Listen. You always want to be a goal scorer. Once you're a goal scorer when you're young and you get into the mix with the best in the world, you're not a goal scorer anymore. So what are you? But Razor was a killer. I bet you he was tough when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. He was a straight up, straight up killer. Will knock you out. But 
if he wanted to be a goal scorer in the NHL, he would have been a goal scorer because that's where the money's at, homie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No one's going to the NHL like, hi, I'm scoring 30 a year. Wait a minute, I want to be a heavyweight. No, 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 no. It goes the other way. If he was able to score goals in the NHL, he would have done it. Well, it's interesting. It, it's interesting because yeah. before he came into the NHL, when he was drafted, he he scored like thirty goals in the OHL. In juniors, he yes, was awesome. in juniors, yes, yes. He's played against kids younger. Than right, him. right. And, and, and I that's, didn't even do that. Yes. he was way better than me in juniors, mm-hmm. skill wise and all that. I was just learning. He was awesome in juniors. There's a shit ton of guys mm-hmm. that were in juniors that scored a ton of goals. Yep. But they and were tough. But you get with the best of the best. Right. And you're going against all these Russian guys and Czech guys that are so skilled. <laughs> You, you can't comprehend it. Now you got to form your way. So you got to give him respect for being the league. Of course. Guy, tough guy. No that question. Ball. That's the hardest thing, thing in the world to do. That guy was tougher than hell. Mm-hmm. Awesome guy, too. Mm-hmm. Rob Ray. So I want to ask about another one, uh, Sean Avery, that you mentioned before. Me being a Ranger fan, I kind of started watching right around when he came to the team. And uh, your Devils teams gave me a lot of my hockey misery in the beginning of that. So what was he like on the ice and you fighting him? And uh, also, like, those Rangers-Devils rivalries of the uh, 2000s and 2010s when you were oh, there. Oh, they were awesome. Yeah, anytime Rangers and Devils were awesome. Like, this, the fans were crazy. Fights in the stands. Like, Sean's cool, man. Like, I, I talked to him. came on the pod. You know, uh, you know he's, he, he's his own dude. And he sticks with it, and he's successful with it now. Was he w- crazy on the ice? Yeah, like more verbally crazy than anything. Like, like I, I, he never fought me. There's always somebody else, but I, I didn't mind his. I, it was some of the some of the stuff he said in interviews like that. I laugh. It doesn't bother me. But I can see where it bother other people. Um, but yeah, he did his thing. But if he would have settled down a little bit more, and I think he would admit, and he's admitted on the on our podcast too, that like if he just would have chilled out a little bit, he would have made a lot more money. But that's his style, man. And like he's always going to be able to make money, even if people hate him. It doesn't matter because there's a lot of people that still like him. And he always could like after you play. People remember what you did on the ice, but if you're involved in podcasts and you're on social media a lot, they think of you as what you are now more than that. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. We are talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jansen. Um, Cam, the enforcer has disappeared in the NHL. Okay? It, it has. And I know the NHL is trying to change the league. It's become a faster sport. There are faster players, more athletic players from when uh, I think the game was just dominant in the 90s. When I think when you think of Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, some of the greats, Cam Neely, all these great hockey players. And now it's become a fast game. You have Connor McDavid and uh, Barzell and all these other guys that are just absolutely unbelievably fast. Why has the NHL pushed away the the back end of the sport the 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 fun part of the sport and that is fighting you know hockey is all about fighting and in the enforcers in the league why has the league tried to transition away from that well it, it all started in 04 lockout when they took away the hooking and clutching mm-hmm. so when it started in 05 this uh, first year I started playing there's no hooking and clutching anymore so you could you got to just open up the ice so much. If you watch a game prior to 2004, unlike, you know, a replay of something, you see guys like water skiing through dudes, you know, like Marlon Mews, <laughs> like deacon through guys. You have five guys hanging on them, like they're like jumping on them. And that was 
Now you can't do that, which is great. And now the ice is open. But there was a period of time in 05 till about 2013, 14, where there was killers. Mm -hmm. And they just balanced it that way. But then the NHL kind of just, it didn't. It wasn't like, hey, we have to stop doing that. It's more like it just happened naturally. You have to be really fast. You know, um, if you hit a guy hard, uh, you, you, you're more you're likely to get a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not other guys to fight. So why have a heavy if there's no other guys that's going to fight you? He's just going to say no to you. He's going to go hit guys clean. What, are you going to jump them and get a 2, 5, and 10? <laughs> so it just kind of weeded itself out naturally, in my opinion. Do I miss the uh, square off buckets? Oh, God, yeah. And, but still happens here and there. There's still guys that hit you. You know, Ryan Reeves is still in the league. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Delorier is a tough dude. So there's guys in there. But I do miss it. Like, don't get me wrong. But I'm not one of those old timers like, ah, it's, I can't watch it now. Oh, I still like it. Keep the hits in. Mm-hmm. Don't ban fighting because I still like the organic after a big hit. Maybe guys square off. Maybe teams are pissing at each other and they – do a line brawl here and there. That's still fun. It's great. You kind of need that, you know. You need viewers. Like, that, it does help. But I like the way the game is, man. The hits are still there. The skill's there. I, I don't mind it. So, Mike, my, my question is, uh, your best Martin Rodor story? Oh, Marty was awesome. Like, he was very competitive in practice. I hung out with him a lot. You know, I always wanted to cling on to him like a nerd, you know, because especially when I was really young, I'm like, Marty, what's Marty doing? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Why am I going to hang out with the young guys? Why would I hang out with the, you know, a couple guys that were my, not my age, maybe I was the youngest guy on the team. Why am I hanging out with the young guys? I want to go with the big boy. What's up, buddy? So he always accepted that, although he, he chirped me a lot and I had to take a beating for a while. I'd like to sit back in the back of the plane with all of them and play cards when I was young. He let me back there. Things like that, you know. Uh, you know, his wife and my wife know each other. He was down in St. Louis. His kids still play hockey here. He's awesome. But I scored on him a couple of times in practice, and he knows it. And we would have bets, too, of how many points, who, you know, during some of those years, he would bet me that he would have more points than me throughout the year as a goal, which is very embarrassing. And he's <laughs> trying to win. So we are talking real bets because that's uh, illegal. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you don't want to get yourself into trouble now, my friend. Oh, Gary yeah, I Bettman. did that already on paper back in like 10 years. <laughs> it was okay. We are talking to former Devils and Blues winger Cam Jansen. You know, Cam, the playoffs this year has been so fun to watch. It really has. Uh, you, you watch the Vegas Knights and see what they're doing and see what they did against Edmonton, and then you watch the Krakens and the Florida Panthers. They barely squeaked into the playoffs as a wild-card team, and they're going all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship. They knocked off the Bruins, the bad news Bruins, the Allmarks of the world, who had a record-breaking year, and 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 do do what they have done. And and this, you know, usually you say the goaltending, goaltending is the most important part of the playoffs. Well, this year... How many good goaltenders were are still in the playoffs? I mean, seriously, all the great goaltenders have really been knocked out of the playoffs. So you look at the playoffs; it's so unique, it's so different this year than we expected. What has what have you seen this year to be so unique from all the other years? Well, first off, the goaltending like look, there's always going to be a new badass goalie that emerges. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it just happens. So these are and, and Bobrovsky's making ten million bucks. Mm-hmm. He kind of came back. Now, they had a couple of backups come in and this yep. and that, and they played well. Um, as far as Vegas, yeah, they've been through a ton of goalies. 
the Robin Leonard signing. Oh, they've had some weird things go down in Vegas, and they're still unbelievable. Yep. I like them. They're fun to watch. Um, you know, Ottinger, he came look at Dallas. Like he's damn good. Yep. But just because he wasn't good a couple years ago doesn't mean he's good now. And just because some of the goalies that were good a couple years ago and they're not in it now, it's like, oh, well, there's a new breed of goalies coming in. Right. So, but I like Florida, man. I like Matthew Kachuk. I like his daddy. I play with Big Walt in St. Louis. He was the coolest guy ever. Oh, God, I had so much fun with him. Keith Kachuk is awesome. And I remember those kids hanging out in the locker room, Brady and Matthew. And I, you know, they're getting older and we're talking to them and they're always in St. Louis skating with us and stuff like that. And now Matthew is terrorizing the league <laughs> like a psycho. And he <laughs> and he's just hard to deal with. And he and he he took care of the Bruins and then he went to the Leafs and he shut down Mitchie Marnie mm-hmm. and Austin Matthews and all those guys that get all the hype all year long. And Matthew Kachuk went in there and owned them and punched him after a whistle. And God, just an, was, they're just hey man, listen, just because you're you're kind of weird all year long and you figure it out at the end of the year. Look at like the Kings back in 2012. Trust me. I know that firsthand. We thought we were going to beat them. They came out of the eighth seed and they kicked ass and they killed us in the finals. They were loaded. And you only realize when they're, they're loaded is when they win. You might not, you might not realize it during the season, but once you win the cup, you'll pick out each individual on that team back. Now I get it. All right, just simply, what is your Stanley Cup matchup, but who do you got winning it? Oh, dude, no one knows. But I would say, hmm, <laughs> I would say probably Vegas and Vegas and Carolina. Hmm, that's an interesting. I think Vegas yeah. is going to win. Not that I know, and I don't like bet on things. I don't tell people to bet on stuff. I could probably make <laughs> a lot more money in sponsors if I did that. But I just don't trust. I don't want to, you know. Well, st- stop it. You you know damn well you would be promoting it if you were good at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I got enough things going on. But I'm interested to hear what Rob has to say about that. <laughs> I get why people gamble, though. Like, you're involved in every game. Like, I get it. Stuart Smart. I know guys in, in both ways with that. But, you know, I got enough vices, dude. <laughs> but anyway, I, th- I, hope, I, w- I think Vegas, they're loaded, dude, mm-hmm. especially down the middle. One more question for us. When you look at yourself and you look at the league and some of the players in the league, is there a particular player in the league right now that reminds you of you when you played? Well, I hope not. <laughs> they're not very good. <laughs> no. That was a unique thing, dude. And, it, it, and I was in right when I could be in and stuff like that. And maybe if I would have changed a couple of things, I would have, you know, it just, I came from no hockey experience. Right. Parents didn't play, didn't even know the game, only liked the Blues, liked Brett Hall, didn't even know what he was doing out there, and I figured it out. And so, like, you know, I was just – I was different. My intensity, I would say, if you want to take my intensity and my aggressiveness that fed my career, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple cats, man, like Matthew and Brady, Kachuk, like Brady too. God, Brady's scary, man. He's going to be the – Matthew's really good. Brady's really good, but Brady is scary, like meaner, mm-hmm. and will hurt you, and doesn't care, <laughs> and like will score a goal. I met and Brady, he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, so I, I met Brady at the Brady draft. I met both of them. I met Matthew and Brady and so Keith. Nice. I, I've oh. I've interviewed Keith when St. Louis won the Stanley Cup. I was on the ice when they beat Boston at the Boston Garden, and 
Keith is an interesting guy. You can tell that he has the passion, and he, he you can tell that you don't want to mess around with him when he was playing. He he brought out the and I I was speaking to somebody the other day about power forwards. I think Keith Kachuk and Brett Hull were the 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 faces of the position of power forward in those years when it transi- transitioned into the power forward position. Keith Kachuk, one of the greatest American-born goal scorers at that position, and then even Brett Hull that really defined the position when he came into the league in the late 80s. So He took over St. Louis mm-hmm. and got us all into hockey, and now St. Louis has NHLers growing out the wazoo. Mm. Well, That's badass. Well, you're and, we got, and we got unbelievable rinks everywhere. <laughs> we get treated like gold, you know. Like well, it's, it's you're not, badass, man. We're and spoiled, we, man. You're badass, and we really appreciate you. Okay, you you keep up the good work. I want to check out your podcast. As a matter of fact, if you want, I'll come on your podcast. I mean, we can't fight, you know, but uh, we can talk back and forth and argue like we are right now. But we didn't argue. We're we're actually getting along, so that's a good yeah. sign, Cam. You, you guys collectively roast the maple leaves. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, their GM is very embarrassing. Kyle Dubis <laughs> is it, like he just conducts himself in such a bizarre way, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Because I've done crazy stuff, but, like, you're a GM, homie. Mm. I don't know any hardcore cool GMs. Doug Armstrong, Kenny Holland, Lou Lamarillo. They're not yelling at fans. They're not throwing things. Cam Neely threw a bottle. He looked cool. When Kyle Dubas does it, he looks nerdy. <laughs> it is what it is. Cam Jansen, everybody. You're fantastic, man. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. See you, dudes. Be cool. As everybody knows, we were just talking to ex-devil, blues winger, Cam Jansen. Fantastic guy, man. Really, really good personality. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's, he knows a little bit about hockey. I mean, he was in the NHL for nine years. And he even told you, his background, when he, when he started playing hockey, was later in his career. And he made it to the NHL. He played nine years in the NHL. He started playing hockey late in his career. He could have played any other sport. He was obviously very athletic. His parents never played. He had nobody in his family that ever played hockey. And this guy played nine years in the NHL. Say whatever you want. It's not easy to make it to the NHL and to have a nine-year career. Some guys don't even play more than three or four years. But when we come back, this guy's been on the show before. He is the word. He, he defined the word enforcer. Over 3,000 penalty minutes, minutes. This is a guy that is known throughout the league as the enforcer. Uh, and we're going to get into some hockey conversation with him when we come back. We will be talking to former Sabres and Senators winger Rob Ray here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live. They're not podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. You can actually call the shows, interact with the guests, interact with all our talent on our network. Yes, including our show, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m., which we are live right now, and Thursdays at 9 p.m. We were just talking to Cam Jensen. He was fantastic, an enforcer for St. Louis and the New Jersey Devils. But this guy... 
is very well known, not just in the NHL, but the world, for what he does off the ice and what he did on the ice. We are now talking to former Sabres and Senators winger Rob Ray. Robbie, what's up, man? Not much, guys. How you doing? Well, we haven't spoken to you in over two years, man. It's been a long time. A lot of hair 20 pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> you look healthy. You look good, man. I see a lot of I, hockey sticks behind you. I do. Turn 55 coming up here next month. Hell yeah, I look a lot better than uh, most people. Well, you're, 50, you're 55. I just turned 41. I mean, I'm getting up there in age. Trying to get, you know, oh, still stay sucks, healthy. Man. Yeah, it does. It does. It sucks. It does. Me. My, my sister just had another niece. Uh, I just went to visit her yesterday. So uh, a five-time uncle, man. I don't know how many kids you have, but I don't have any, but I'm a five-time uncle, buddy. Got two that I pay for, so it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I just actually came home from college today. So oh, congratulations, man. That's a good yeah, sign. So, so that's why I'm upstairs and they're downstairs, because I'm actually afraid of my daughter. So I, uh, <laughs> I just stay separated as much as possible. Well, I, I understand. Uh, women are very scary especially when they come home from school yeah and they want to tear your head off but you know a lot about tearing people's heads off that's for sure uh as you were one of the enforcers in the nhl for a very very long time i think almost over a 14-year career in the nhl it's it's a fantastic story uh where you came from and really how you define the sport at your position and and really changed the word enforcer to the game of hockey, really brought the enforcer into the game of hockey. I don't care what anybody says. You can name Dale Hunter and uh, Bob Probert or Ty Domi or Joey Kosar. You were a different breed, especially with the Sabres. And you had a lot. You had Matthew Bonaby. You had some good enforcers on your team. Before we get into what you've been doing off the ice since we've last spoken to you, what do you see the league transitioning into after the time that you played as an enforcer to where it is now, where there's really no enforcers in the league anymore. It's unfortunate because it's, it's unique to our game. We had six fights this year with the mm-hmm. Sabres. That's a, a weekend sometimes, you know, in the past, the game's different. Now the players different now, some nights when I'm doing work and I'm like, this would be a great time for somebody to get involved and start things up here, get your, but then you sit back and you think, okay, these kids aren't taught that game and they've never played that game. They never played it in junior college it's not promoted at any level now i can remember being in junior it didn't know if you're the top line centerman or the fourth line scrub everybody got involved physically in the next five years you're probably going to see real fighting left in the game because not that they're avoiding not doing it they're not taught it's just not in their dna coming up junior now you're suspended Beck leagues you know cuts out fighting so why are they going to do it when they're trying to sell themselves to get to the next level so i i, I get where they're coming from but it's unfortunate because it's an entertainment side of our game. We talk about educated fans. When there's a fight in a building, everybody's on their feet and they're cheering. And, you know, it's some part of our game that, unfortunately, and in a few years, it's probably going to be gone. So you are actually now coaching now as of last year. So what has that experience been like coaching youth hockey, especially for somebody like you were saying that uh, was an enforcer in the NHL, now teaching a league that is not as much? It's great. I coach with Rhett Warner, Patty Coletta, and Matty Ellis. Uh, we all coach together. Where our kids are on the team. It's an 09 Junior Sabres team here in town. But we do promote the physical side. We do promote the fighting. we got a big group of young kids and like to hit. They like to get involved in. It's great because you can teach the mental side of the game. We've got great young D in our team. Rhett is a big part of that. The hard part is trying to show kids some offensive side of the game. A kid come up and he's like, I counted up last night, guys. And uh, between the four coaches, you had like 90-some goals in the NHL. Standing here trying to tell us how to score goals type thing. <laughs> 
that's where it gets difficult a little bit. But you just shut up, kid. Give him one of those and try to intimidate him. There's no better joy than coaching kids. It's so much fun. And whether it's your own kid or other kids, I just I just would be out there and trying to pass on to something to them. And great when you see them get better and dance on and move off bigger and better things. It's an excellent feeling. We are talking to former Sabres and Senators winger Rob Ray. Rob, the Buffalo Sabres this year uh, yeah. from, from a team – that didn't have a lot of talent for all those years and had top picks. Every year, they, were ha- they would have a top five pick. And, and now finally this year, they, they've shown some growth. Some of these young players are developing. They signed some of these players. They have a great future. What was the, the thought going into the season this year and even at the end of the season? Where did you see this team grow so fast as it did? I think the big thing is here in the last couple of years with this team, finding stability within management, coaching side. For years, it seemed like every other year, the coach, general manager, just a vicious cycle of those guys being replaced and we had some good young kids along the way but it just kind of things got lost in the shuffle and kids moved you really couldn't build that core now they've done that Kevin Adams has done a good job here Donnie Granada is an excellent coach the guys love playing for him he communicates really well with them the big thing is maturity like Darlene now is not the kid out there and he's a man learn now he's not is off the charts Dylan Cousins and Tate Thompson coming into his own this year Alex Talk fantastic lead Skinner had a great year this year Jack Quinn JJ Paterka all these young kids that they've drafted, they've worked with, they've built, they're all coming up together, and I think that's a big thing. It's a really tight group knit of guys love being around each other. They love to play the game. The game now has changed. Years ago, you'd go to practice, and the second practice was over, you'd run to get out of the rink. Hockey players this day and age are hockey nerds, man. They're there all day, looting pucks, they're watching video, they're working out how committed they are to improving the difference it's made. These guys work their asses off, and I think that's the big thing for us. There'd be a point where you'd hit and you go, okay, they're done. Maybe in the first period, it could be in the second, it could be in the third, but you just knew they'd shut it down. It's entertaining every night, win or lose. So Devin Levi, a young goaltender yep. that came up at the end of the year too. Uh, I had one. I have two brothers that were with Northeastern, so they know about him very well. One just graduated. One's there right now, so they know him. Uh, is what do you think his ceiling is as a goaltender? Is it, is he the goaltender that the Sabers best chance to really break that drought since they've had since Ryan Miller? Yeah, it's hard to see what a kid's ceiling is, but he's a kid that works extremely hard, studies the game. When he came in, I think he was so prepared. Because he had did so much homework on shooters in the league and the teams that he was going to face, he knew exactly what to expect. There was no time he was rattled. There was next week up five or six. It was no big deal. It was like, hey, we won the game. Exciting guy. He's always talking. He's like Marty Braun. The enthusiasm this kid brings. It's going to be very interesting to see. For size durability, full season, it'd be. I think it's going to take him a bit to, to get down. Puts a lot of effort in when he plays. It'll be interesting to see the wear and tear. People are excited. They love it. The guys love him. He's a great kid. Talented. We're sitting there outside the meal room, and all of a sudden the piano starts playing, and he is out there playing like he was in some kind of an orchestra somewhere. It was fantastic <laughs> how he was doing it, and the talent the kid has is pretty cool. Rob, we look at the league as a whole. Gary Bettman, at one point I thought Gary Bettman was one of the worst commissioners in sports. And he's been around. He's been around a long, long time. He's helped this league grow. And you look at the the endorsements and and the uh, the what, everything you see, the new TV deals, everything that's going on for the NHL. It has a lot to do with Gary Bettman sticking to his Dukes and and really pushing the league for what it is today. What were what are your thoughts to the growth of the NHL over the last couple of years? And what do you what did you see Gary Bettman do with his team of of, of executives to help this league grow? Well, I, I think the big thing with Gary is Gary doesn't get influenced by outside pressure, you know, and, and going through lockouts and that with him and, and watching him, he's he's got a plan, he's stuck to it, and I think that's that's the most important thing. Uh, 
he's brought an awful lot of money to a lot of owners out there uh, and players as well. And I, and I think he realizes, yeah, there's a, there's money for everybody, but I think he also, the league has done a good job of not throwing it out there in masses so quickly that you guys get overwhelmed by it. You know, just give a little bit more each year, a little bit more, a little bit more, and, you know, just slowly building instead of just, you know, letting it blow up and, and, you know, it's sometimes then it gets out of control. But I, I think he's he's got a, done a good job of having the ears of the owners. And I think the owners put a lot of faith and trust into this guy. And, you know, in the big picture, he's he's brought the television side to an area and to a spot where, you know, it, it was not even close to being. And that's where all the money obviously comes from mm-hmm. is uh, on the television side. Television here with Buffalo, you know, we're always in the top three or four rated in, in you know, the league and in, in, in people watching and, and ratings and everything like that. And those numbers, if you didn't have that in a town like this, uh, you probably wouldn't survive. Mm. And I think in a lot of cases in small markets like this, the, the, t- the TV deals that teams have, not only as individual teams, but with the NHL is, is what keeps them going. And, and I give an awful lot of credit for, for being able to figure that out and, and make it happen for a lot of teams. So speaking of small markets, we've seen the uh, expansion really get prevalent with Vegas and Seattle and really growing right away. Vegas obviously going to the Cup the first year, and Seattle doing very well this year in the playoffs. And now you see you heard Arizona yesterday lost their stadium lease deal. So is there any cities that you could see get a new hockey team, and do you think the NHL is going to keep expanding even more? I, I think they want to, and I, and I think they want to eventually hit the European market too. Hmm. I think that's why you see so many games uh, you know, being – in different places at the beginning of the year and where they're going to Australia, I guess this year, I, I truly think in, at some point the the big plan for this whole league is maybe to have a European side and a, an American side and American North American side. Can it grow? I think so. I think that they would get enough support on the, on the European side it may take, you know, obviously there's always a couple teams that you feel like maybe in a little bit of trouble that maybe you need to move and go to other places. But you know, I, I think you're very limited, too, on, on places where teams can go here in the States now with having, you know, the 30 teams now. it's There's only so many places on the North American side, especially in Canada as well, that you, you can start putting teams that they're going to be viable. You know, there's always talk about another team coming into Toronto, which, you know, would that affect the Sabres? Oh, yeah, would, that would really affect it. I think they average about 3,500 uh, Canadian fans here every night to Sabre games. So that would cut into that side. So to see that happen, probably not because it's just too close proximity for the number of people that are there in this area. But, yeah, I can see it uh, happening and and those teams. But I just don't know how many more cities there is out there that (laughs) on the especially on the American side that could that could hold a team and, 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 you know, have a team established and and let it grow. So I don't know. We are talking to ex-Sabres and ex-Ottawa Senator uh, Enforcer Rob Ray. Rob, there is, a, there is a hockey team that might have a new owner. And uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, he's a movie star. He, he's been wanting to buy a hockey team for over, the, over the last couple of years. And now he's closing in on the deal for the Ottawa Senators. I love what Ottawa has done over the last couple of years. This team is going to be a very, very good team for years to come with the talent that they have in their farm system and some of the young talent that they have right now. What are your thoughts to the Ottawa Senators this year and, and really the transition maybe to new owners, especially an, a movie star? It was time for ownership change there. I experienced the old ownership uh, there in Ottawa, and sometimes it got a little tough. Uh, 
you know, the way things were handled. And I think it, it really made people kind of turn away from it a little bit, just the way, you know, Melnick handled a lot of things. But and now it's in a situation where it's, you know, you're outside of the town. You're not where all the people are. You're, you're in Canada. Yeah, it's built up out there a lot, but you, it's very difficult to get to. Obviously, the building going downtown will be a number one priority for them, and, and that'll make this thing turn right around. There's still get crowds, you know, out in Canada, but it, like I said, it's a very difficult place to get to. Uh, it's in and out for games, but downtown it would be fantastic. And obviously, I think that's part of the deal that they, they have to build something downtown, which will be off the charts. But Ottawa has done a great job building a team. You know, they just kind of quietly sat back and, and you know, picked guys up and, and filled in with, with guys that they were kind of developing in the minors. And it's a great young team. They got some good young kids, young Sanderson, Jeff Sanderson's son there. I look at him, and he's one of the best young D in the game right now, I think, in my eyes. And so they've got they've got a good core of kids there now that uh, can be very good. And I think the big thing with this Ottawa deal, it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think when you really sit and look at it, break it down, the, it's the building where it sits now, and the property that's sitting is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So that's obviously sold when the time comes, uh, you know, to outside investors, and, and that's pretty much – gives them the money to go downtown and build the rink where they need to. So, you know, it's a big number, but I think it's kind of offset by the property values in the building that's in Canada right now. Being able to pack up and move the high seven or eight hundred million or whatever it may be, uh, a lot of that has to do with the property value that the, t- the, the arena is sitting on now. So it kind of washes, you know, when they when they move. So throughout this NHL playoffs, have you seen what are the biggest surprises that you've seen so far, and some of the even some of the trends that you've seen in comparison to other NHL playoffs in the past? Well, I'm glad that the playoffs is as soon as it starts, it goes to another level, and you know the physical side is always there. Uh, You know, very emotional games. Uh, A lot of the times you watch games during the year, and there's not too much emotion played. They just kind of play the games, and it's kind of missing, and it's unfortunate. Glad to see once it gets into the playoffs. But you like to see different teams have success. You know, it's it's tough when you're seeing the same old groups all the time, uh, you know, have success and be the teams that are, you know, making the conference finals, the finals. Uh, that takes away from it. I like it. It's good for the game to see different teams involved. You know, it's great to see Seattle do as well as they did. You know, unfortunately, no teams left in Canada because I think it's a big uh, – it's a big side financially on the business side for the NHL when there's Canadian teams involved. And when they're out, then I think it takes a huge hit. But, you know, I, I just think overall you're seeing young guys really step up here and, and do an excellent job. But you're seeing a lot of the guys that have been around a long time that all of a sudden when the playoffs comes, bang, they're turning it up and they're becoming the players they were. And they might have taken a lot of heat for a while, uh, you know, during the regular season. But come to play big games, those big guys have stepped up and they, they've done pretty darn well. So uh, it's been exciting. I think you, you, everybody you talk to, this is a big hockey town and everybody wants to talk hockey, whether it's Sabres or whomever. <laughs> they're all watching and they're all excited. And I think that's the big thing and, and that's great for the game. We are talking to former Sabres and Senators winger Rob Ray, enforcer. Rob, you were in the league for a very, very long time. In 2000, 2000, 2003, 2004, you retired. What have you been doing since retirement? I know you've been in a couple of movies. Uh, you've been in a couple of documentaries. What have you done so far in the last 20 years away from hockey? Well, when, when I was playing, I knew, always knew that the end was going to come at some point. And just for me, I, I played the number of years, and I think I signed like seven one-year contracts. 
you know, it just seemed like every year was going to be the last year. So it kind of forced you quickly to figure out what you wanted to do. And at the time, Larry Playfair was here. He was he was good mentor, good friend. Uh, you know, he was always into the commercial side of property and everything here. And and I didn't think that that was my thing. So I went in the residential side. And while I was playing, you know, every year I'd buy a building and spend the summer fixing it up and and keep it and rent it out. And then the next summer do the same thing. So, you know, I build up a pretty decent portfolio of that here now and that's kind of what I do you know in the summer times you know maintaining and all that kind of thing of, of all these buildings um, and then still doing the color for for the team during the season so you know you're at every game you're on the road all the time you, it's great it's it's the best job you can have because you're still involved with the game you, you're with the guys all the time uh, you, you know you're on the go you're you're a part of everything and the only great thing is you don't have to be in shape anymore. And you, can and, you know, have fun with it. And, you know, the preparation, day of game sometimes gets gets a little hairy at times. But I'll tell you what, it's the great thing is when it's over, it's over. You know, if they win, they win. If they lose, they lose. You get on the plane, go to the next town. And, you know, where are we going for dinner? I'm so blessed to be able to do it because it's the most amazing job. Good people and, and this town is, is fabulous. I run our alumni here now, too, so... You know, you're highly active with all the guys every day dealing with things. And nothing better than you get a guy that might need a little help or he's in a, in a bad spot. And, you know, you can get a couple of guys and get them together and get them, you know, help them out and do what you got to do to get them back on track. It's a pretty good feeling because I think it just comes back to that whole team thing, you mm -hmm. know, being in that dress room. And, you know, you're always there for your, your teammates. And even though we're done and we're getting older and you just they always know that you're there for them. And I think that's that's awesome to see. You're still a young man, my friend. You're still young in my and eyes. I, I, if I had a little more hair... And <laughs> you want some? I could give you some. Oh, man. I don't even have hair in my chest. You know, people are, sta people are starting to shave their, you know, their butt hair off and put it on their head. So. <laughs> I would shave my head, but my head is so big. <laughs> it'd look, I'd look like a golf ball walking around. Well, you know, it's so interesting. You watch Connor McDavid, you watch Dreisaitl. They play on the same team. They're the two best players yeah. in the world. I, I know you're going to pick those two, but let's take them out of the mix. Tell me a player that you have watched this year that really just stood out to you. Wow, this guy is going to be one hell of a player for a very, very long time. What, which guy is that, and what really impressed you about that particular guy? Well, I, I think I, I could go right to our own team, Tate Thompson. Uh, you know, the way he came across and, and, you know, last year he had a great year and, but people didn't buy into it over the summer and they were like, yeah, can he do it again? Did he just get lucky? And then he come out and did what he did this year and changed his game a lot too, you know, like got off the wing, went to center, uh, you know, depending on his shot all the time for, for goals. Now he's not doing that. He's using his body. He's taking pucks to the net. He protects the pucks real well. He's got an unbelievable shot, but for a big man, the way he can handle the puck and maneuver the puck in tight, especially around his feet and in the front of the net, it, it's it's pretty darn cool what he's been able to do. And you just see every night that he'll pull something out, and it's like, holy shit, where'd that come from? <laughs> and, you know, so it's catching your eye. And I, I you know, it, it was it was. I'm glad that it wasn't just a one time thing. And and now the kid's got all the confidence in the world. And I just think he's just going to get better and better. And uh, a lot has to do with the team. A lot has to do with the guys. Um, Alex Tuck, I think, has been very good for him. Gives him an awful lot of confidence. Helps him out out there. And, and Jeff Skinner having a good year this year, you know, obviously helped as well. But 
you know, when, when Tage wasn't around and not in the lineup this year, you, uh, it really affected this hockey team. So, you know, I think in my eyes, Tage was probably the guy that, uh, you know, stood out to me. I will say this. When, when you look at American-born players and you look at where some of these American-born players are from, in Arizona, you have Austin Matthews, one of the best offensive players in all of hockey, and now Tage Thompson, you have two guys from that specific place in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, that is taking the sport to higher heights. And now American hockey is really transitioning. I mean, you look at, I mean, Adam Fox, he's, he's the best, he's been the best defenseman in the league for the last three seasons. And then you have all these, these goaltenders and offensive players that we can pick now. I mean, it's crazy when you, when you think of hockey, the first thing you think is Canada and Russia. You don't think you've never thought the United States. Now you're, you're talking about United States, Canada, Russia, Sweden, Finland, Germany. You know, it's crazy how United States hockey has grown as much and as fast as it has. Well, you can thank Canada for that. All of us coming down here to play and marrying American girls. <laughs> I forgot you're Canadian. <laughs> and, you know, I got over 40 guys, uh, you know, alumni living in town. And, you know, it's great. I think it's fantastic. I talk about the Junior Sabres. We have so many guys involved with coaching teams over there helping out the kids and it, it makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, I think you're seeing that an awful lot of, uh, you know, you just had Jansen mm-hmm. you know, talking about St. Louis. St. Louis is a, is a minor hockey hotbed right now. There's a lot of kids coming out of there and playing well. We play the, the, the junior blues every year and it's a big ass hockey team. That's very good. And, you know, so a lot of areas that, you know, the Florida Alliance, the Florida hockey right now is, is very good. There's a lot of kids down there that, uh, you know, I've really come out to play and, and stepped up, and, and they got some good hockey there as well. You know, San Jose, same thing. Anaheim, you know, there's L.A. There's areas that you never would have dreamt of before. But I think the big thing is not only when these teams are going into these areas to, to establish NHL teams, if they establish good minor hockey systems in those areas as well and get the kids playing, that's your fan. That's your fan base too. You know, get the kids involved. And I think a lot of these areas have done a really good job of building up minor hockey systems, which in turn producing players and which in turn, uh, you know, create that fan base, uh, you know, long term. So and then you got an educated fan as well. You're not just people in the building there to be entertained on what's on the scoreboard or something like that. They, they know the game as well. And I think that's when you're going to have uh, sustainable, you know, people coming to your building is when they're educated fans and they, they like it. They love it because they understand it more. So you also did a did a show recently, or doing a show, I don't know if you're still doing it, with uh, Buffalo Bills former offensive lineman Ruben Brown as well, I heard. So uh, yeah. what has it been like working with him and, like, the dynamic with a former hockey player and a former football player? Like He's a good guy. And, you know, he, uh, yeah, we did the show there with TSN, and he comes over, and, and, and he would sit here for hours with my mother-in-law and just shoot and sit and talk to her and <laughs> hang out with her and, you know, big-ass Ruby coming in, and my son just... <laughs> What's up, Ruben? You know, it's high five, and as they're walking by each other, and it's nah, Ruben's a special guy, and he, it's awesome. And you know, the good thing is here, it's a small town, so we have a lot of interaction with the Bills, and we have since day one, since when I was here, and you know, in the '90s when the Bills were so good, and you know, all those guys you got to know and you hung around. You're not just you know acquaintances; you hung out together. Mm-hmm. You you had dinner with families and. And you spent time together, so it, it was. It's really cool because in this small town area like this, you 
you really get to appreciate and, and support each side of it too. You know, every night there's, you know, a box full of Bills guys here, our guys in return at their games and friends. We are talking to former Sabres and Senators winger, ex, ex-Sabres and Senators winger, retired enforcer, Rob yeah. Ray. Rob, last question for me. It's a two-question uh, because I, I know you're very busy. Where were you with the DeMar Hamlin thing? What were your thoughts when, when DeMar, DeMar Hamlin went down? That was one. And two, is there a particular player you absolutely hated when you played against and that you've become better friends now that your careers are over? Uh, well, that, that, that question is easy. It's Ty. You know, <laughs> I knew Ty. We played junior against each other. We were drafted at the same time. We had the same agent, you know, when we got drafted. And, you know, we ended up fighting like 13 times in the NHL and, and you know, a couple other times other than that, once in a hotel room at the night of the draft. <laughs> As the years went on, you started – especially doing alumni things and getting to know each other. I really appreciate, you know, who Ty is and what he came from and what he battled through and, and a lot of things that uh, to be where he was and have the successful career he had. Uh, you know, I look back and, you know, it's cool because when Max comes in town, uh, you know, he comes to games and, you know, you see them, you know, before or after and, and you know, you've created a friendship that way. And I, and I think that's awesome because what we went through and the things we did was, kind of stupid some nights but you know you can kind of put all that behind you and, and actually walk away and say you're friends now and i appreciate that uh damar hamlin we were actually on the road in in washington and we were sitting in the room you know watching the game with uh, a couple of other broadcast guys danny dunleavy does a play-by-play and you know and i sitting there eating cupcakes and ice cream uh, <laughs> watching it and it happens and it's like oh my god what just happened and it was like because you've been a part of it you've been in situations where you know you thought guys were hurt and thank god they weren't and you've been in other situations where things have happened on the ice guys getting cut or swallowing tongues and and things like that where you're just you you don't know you just don't know and you know for us sitting there it was just like oh my god what just happened and then you know when it kept going longer and longer it was just it just kind of brought reality i think we live in kind of a fantasy world sometimes you know whether playing the game or working for a team it's a totally different world than what most people would understand or or even believe uh and we're blessed to do it and then when something like that happens it's like it doesn't matter if he was a bill or he was you know a patriot which everybody hates here it was just like oh my god and but you know what i thought was cool was it wasn't just the people in the building there or, or or the people here in Buffalo, you know, because of being Bills fans, that had an effect mm-hmm. all across the world, man. Like, that that got people's attention across the world. And, uh, you know, the, just the outpouring for it, I thought it was fabulous. In a time where, you know, it seems like everybody hates each other and nobody can say the right thing, you got to be careful. But it was like all that was shut down for a brief period. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, the world was just concerned about this guy and, and, and then it, the only bad thing that comes from that, then it goes to the next part of, you know, in contact sports, you know, it's, it raises that argument too. And people take it to a level that is, is kind of off the charts and, and not needed. But, you know, I, I just, I just thought the effect it had across the world was uh, pretty darn amazing for, for, for what happened. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. So my last question, we talked about a lot of the, the goons that uh, obviously you're a big part of that list, but is there anybody that you fought in the NHL? It's not, that... it's not goons, buddy. It's role players. But, uh, <laughs> all right, I got you. All right, so the role players. We, we, we Tell them, some... Rob. Tell them. If, if all of us guys played that role all the way up through our careers, you never would have made it to the NHL. 
Fair okay? enough. So you you play 99.9% of those guys that ended up having to play that role, it's because when they got to this level, mm -hmm. they said, this is what we want you to do. Mm -hmm. And that was, I was no different. I got here. I went to Rochester after my first camp. And John Van Bachner said, hey, look, this is what they're looking for. This is what they want you to do. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. He goes, trust me, you might not ever get there on just your town alone. But if you can get this mastered, it's going to be your quickest and easiest way to get there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, show me what to do and help me out with it. And, you know, that year I had 46 fighting majors, I think, <laughs> 446 minutes of penalties. And, you know, I, I couldn't see out of both my eyes at the same time for about six hours. <laughs> But, you know, you took a shit kicking every night, but you learn how to do it. And it opened the door. So it, I would say get the goon thing out and say, hey, the guys that were able to make that transition from being a player to having to do that job, which sucked, give them credit because they were the smartest ones to figure it out. Because if they said, no, no, I'm not doing it, they would have been out of the game, you know, before it really got started. So they realized that, this is what I got to do. I'm going to do it. And, and uh, I will say this. Uh, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I would right. never call them goons. I call them enforcers because that's a yeah. better word. It, it, it explains what they were, what they asked you to do. They wanted you yeah. the, to enforce the law on the ice. And you were the, the protection of all the star players on that ice. Well, and I'll tell you what. And, and some people, if they understand it, they appreciate it. Some people that don't understand it, they, they look at it like you are some kind of a crazed man. And, you know, I had arguments so many times with people like, if I lived that way off the ice that I did on the ice, I would have been in jail 25 years ago. <laughs> there. So that's not the way you are because there's so many people who would look at you and go, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. Well, no, you, you're able to shut that on and off. But, mm. yeah, I, I just the, – the greatest thing, though, when you're doing the job is when – Guys like Howard Chuck and LaFontaine and McGillney came up to you after the game and thanked you for what you did. Thanks for getting him off my ass. Thanks for clearing the way. Thanks for helping me out in that situation. That was the best. Mm. And just by those guys doing it and understanding it, and they knew there was such an importance for it, that, uh, you know, it just it made it all worthwhile. So I, that, that thing, no, I would go back and do the same thing again. Mm. Yeah, so that was actually more of my question. Like, is there anyone that you're surprised, like somebody like that, like a star player or like a smaller guy that challenged you in a fight? Like, he told you. You don't remember the last time he he came on the show? He said Joey Kosher was the hardest fighter he's ever uh, fought against. Joe Kosher hit me so hard so many times. Tony Twist hit me so hard right here. And it pushed my eyeball through an orbital bone here. The side of my face filled up for air for nine days. There's this uh, Paul Louch, mm. another guy. They hit so hard that when you, when you fought, it was... Yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, I'm glad that's over. But there was so many guys that were, and and trust me, when everybody goes, oh, it's like wrestling and this and that. Trust me, I I don't even know what I remember to do half the time anymore. Right. So it's it's not uh, you know pro wrestling. It was a real thing. Well, you know, before we let you go, I have one question. I, I we get a lot of hockey players on the show over the last couple of months. We haven't, but we love you, and uh, you were an enforcer and. Uh, with over the last couple of years, uh, CTE has become a big factor in professional sports. And uh, even hockey players have said that they have the, I guess, your first level of CTE. It's not at the third or fourth stage. Have, you've, have you dealt with anything with CTE over the last couple of years? And have you known anybody in the NHL that has dealt with it over the last couple of years? 
Uh, yeah, I've actually, you know, being running our alumni here, you deal with a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And I'll tell you what, in, in most cases, it's not the guys that went out and were fighters. It was not those kind of guys. It was a lot of guys that, you know, that maybe played a physical game, but not crazy physical. Uh, I think just a lot of it has to do with the, the, the hitting side, you know, and, and the contact and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, it's not just guys that fought so many others. It's unfortunate, but I, I, you know, you look at it, is it right, is it wrong? I look at it, and I don't think there's too many guys out there that uh, coming up through actually A, thought about it and, 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 and think too much about, you know, 50 years down the road. Mm-hmm. And would they change anything? I don't think there's too many guys that you would go back and, and say that, uh, yeah, I would I would never play that game if I had known, you know, if this possibly could or things bad could have happened to me when I got older, they probably would have all rolled the dice and done the same thing. Rob, we love you, as always. Keep up the good work over there in Buffalo. Your play-by-play, your color, everything that you do, my friend. Keep up the good work. I got to go down and just be nice to my daughter. (laughs) You better be careful. She might beat you up. I'm afraid of two people in this world, my sister and my daughter. (laughs) They're the only two people I I have to walk very gingerly around and be very careful when I say well, you got a bunch of hockey sticks behind you, so you can use them. Yeah, that's that's my son's retirement someday. He says, <laughs> <laughs> if I don't make it in hockey, Dad, I'm just going to find a rich girl and, and uh, you know, just marry her, and that's my, my backup. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you try to teach your kids, marry somebody rich? Oh, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter what they look like, as long as they're loaded. No, I'm <laughs> You know, it's so funny. It's so funny. I I, I bumped into Ray Bork. Uh, was it Ray Bork? I think it was Ray Bork uh, a couple of years ago in at the Stanley Cup Finals. And I asked him a question. I said, uh, you know, I know you have a couple of daughters. And I know one of your daughters is dating a hockey player. I said, would you, if if he didn't have any money, would you let your daughter marry him? And you know what? He looked at me and says, that's a stupid question. <laughs> uh, you know what? The thing is, somebody and moving away you know, that's my biggest fear my daughter's only brought home two boys mm. and both of them were sons of guys that i played with <laughs> <laughs> really bad situation i'm like no 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 i go honey i know you want to find somebody like the old man but you know what they're not out there okay those guys aren't the guys okay? <laughs> rob we'll talk to you soon buddy keep up the good work right. it won't be two years no it's all right i'm always around well, we love you, and I, 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 we're happy to get you on whenever you want to talk hockey with us. You are the great. Cool, because why you go to bed at nine? You go to bed at nine? Hell yeah, baby! You want to look this good at my age? No, you got to go. If I went to bed at nine, he'd probably wake up at midnight. Listen, Rob, I don't, I don't remember the last time I went to bed at like two o'clock in the morning. I usually go to bed at three and wake up at like seven. I don't sleep much, man. We all need Cam Jansen's, whatever he's on, I need it because he's like, and how about him comparing himself to Tuchuk the way he played? Are you kidding me? That guy chopped up more pucks than, I love him. You compare yourself, I'm going to compare myself to uh, Connor McDavid. <laughs> Very similar style. I, I, I got a good laugh out of that when he said it. <laughs> Cam is he's definitely he he definitely has some color to him that's for sure
Yeah. Like, even when he played, he was like that, and he was just 100 miles an hour straight ahead. I'll tell you, guys that played with him loved him because they knew what he was. He was real. He was true and worked his ass off. Well, he called you the Razor, so that's a compliment. Would you let one of your daughters marry him? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, Rob, you are a piece of work, man. Yeah. You really are. You guys will find out someday. Oh, listen, I'm getting to that. Let me tell you. I mean, eventually I'll be talking about battered feet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rob. Keep up the good work, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Take care anytime, eh? Rob Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic personality. Great, great person. Great Samaritan when it comes to hockey. Guy knows his stuff. He knows everything about hockey. And as he as he was telling you, he travels. He's a color commentator for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he was part of the organization for such a long time. And one of the faces of the organization, say whatever you want. It, it, Speedy, you call, you, call goon, you call them goons. They are enforcers. They're the guys. No, they're that, role players. I'll remember that now. They, they, st- they stand up for the stars. They're the ones that are going to step in and protect the stars. There are not many of them anymore, as a matter of fact. I think the NHL are trying to wean them out of the game. I think it ruins the game. I think what hockey has become and what it has been over the years is it's – everybody talks about football and how gritty it is and how, uh, how tough they are. Hockey players are the toughest in the world. They – they're playing back. They could play back-to-back days. They're beating the hell out of each other, throwing each other into boards that don't move, uh, and they're going at a fast speed. So it, it, people forget how tough hockey players. They play with broken legs, broken toes, broken fingers, no teeth. I mean, I, I've seen a player get hit in the eye with a puck and go out there and play with one eye. I mean, it's it's unbelievable what these hockey players do, and and they don't make any excuses. They go out there and they put their life on the line, and that's what I love about the game. And that's why when you when you talk to guys like Cam Jansen and Rob Bray, how tough they really were, and and doing it as long as they did it nine years, and then Rob doing it for over fourteen years, that's ridiculous. And taking you know giving the beatings and taking the beatings. That's incredible, and I don't care what anybody says. You could score six, seven hundred goals when you have three thousand penalty minutes, and you put your body on the line every single day. That is amazing. I don't care what anybody says. So Rob Bray, uh, one of the uh, toughest people you'll ever talk to, not only with sports but just personality-wise. That's why they call. That's why Camp calls him Razor. So. It's it's a, it's crazy. <laughs> Even said it, he's only scared of two people: his sister and his daughter. No, he's probably right. I <laughs> I'd be afraid of women too because you. First of all, we, we're taught not to put our hands on women, and and women they don't hold back. If they want to beat you up, they're going to beat you up. Uh, they don't really care. They'll beat you with their mouth, or they beat them with your. They'll beat you with their fists. They don't care. So that's women, man. That's that's women. So you don't know anything about that, Speedy. You're not dating anybody. I don't even think you ever dated anybody. Have you ever had a girlfriend? No. <laughs> I've tried and I've failed miserably. Well, you almost got one again. this weekend. You almost got one. No, it I was did not. She was dancing with you. She looked like she was interested. She looked like she was 18. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, if she's old, she's overage and she wasn't 18. She had to be 21 to get into that place. Okay, how would I know that? All right. How would you know that? Would you go into a place with 18-year-olds dancing? I don't know. Well, come on, Speedy. Use your brain here. You would go to a place and I didn't say I would. I said I don't know the place. I I understand that. But if there is drinking and it's legal, okay, you're going to a place with beer and liquor. 
you have to be over age. You have to be over 21 to get into that place. Hence the reason why they check your ID when you walk in. Did you notice that? How about them frisking you and, and trying to find out if you had any weapons on you? Did you notice that? No, I did. Okay, so how would you not know that you had to be 21 or older to get into the place? Okay. All right. So you, you almost got a girl. I mean, I got imp- I was very impressed, man. You were dancing. You weren't ashamed, but you, you have to lay off on the liquor, man. I mean, somebody gave you a shot. You were in the, you were in the bathroom for a half an hour. I was in the bathroom for 10 minutes. No, you were in the bathroom for a half an hour. You want, me to, you want me to tell you the truth? You were in the bathroom for half an hour. You went in there. We left at 12.30. You went in there about 11.58. You didn't get out until I, I think it was 12.27. Okay, you were in there a long time. So if you thought you were in there for 10 minutes, you were in there a lot longer. So uh, you have to lay off on the booze, my friend. Lay off on the booze. Woo! All right. Great show so far. Uh, thank you to Cam Jansen, ex-Devil and Blues Winger, Enforcer. It was an Enforcer night. And that, uh, obviously at 8 o'clock when we had, uh, well, we just had Rob Ray on. He is fantastic. He really yes. is. Uh, I really love the guy. And, and we haven't spoken to him for two years. And he still looks good. He really does. He still looks like the same Rob Ray that played when he was in the league in, in the early 2000s, and, 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 and say whatever you want, he was a very tough guy. So, um, so let's get back into the NBA. And the Spurs won the NBA lottery the first time they have had a number one pick drafted since Tim Duncan in 1997. The Spurs selected David Robinson, uh, Robinson uh, with the number one overall pick in 87. So just think about it. Ten years from each other, it took almost 20, 20-some-odd years to get the number one pick in this year's lottery. It's so funny this. I'm going to get into it just a little while. Uh, the Spurs were tied with the Pistons and the Rockets with 14% chance to land the number one pick. The Rockets got the number four pick, and the Pistons got the number five pick. The Hornets got the number two pick, uh, and the Trailblazers got the number three pick. The Spurs now will get a chance to select Victor Wembanyama, a seven foot three player with very good three point shooting, passing, and ball handling potential. By the way, this kid is as talented as LeBron James when he came out uh, to go into the draft as a high school student. Uh, this kid is—he's fa- a fantastic, fantastic talent. Not only could shoot the three, he can get into the paint at will. He can ball handle. He can take the ball up. Uh, he has a tremendous amount of skills that a lot of these big men NBA players do not. Uh, and it's it's very impressive. And the Spurs are going to have a player that they go, they're going to be able to build around like they did with David Robinson in, 80s, in the 80s and then Tim Duncan in the 90s. Look how many championships they won building their team around the anchor in Tim Duncan. This kid might even be more talented than Tim Duncan is when you look at his talents and what he could do on the court. Uh, Greg Popovich will now get the get to coach another great French prospect after coaching Tony Parker and Boris Diaw. Uh, ESPN's uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said about Victor, this is the most highly anticipated player ever to enter the NBA, maybe the greatest prospect in history of team sports. That's crazy. Okay? And they get that guy. They get that guy. Here's here's why I don't like it. Okay? And I, I know everybody's gonna say, well you're a Nick fan. This is why you say how many how many years did Knicks think? Okay? The Knicks have sucked for 30 years. They had one good year with Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire when they won 54. 
Okay, this team has stunk, stunk. They're the one of the worst franchises in in the NBA for the last thirty years, and they had all those lottery picks, all of them. Better percentages than the San Antonio Spurs had this year getting the number one pick. And they never won the number one pick. And everybody keeps talking about the Patrick Ewing draft. I think it was 80, 84 or 85. 85, I believe. Yeah, 85 when they got him from George uh, Georgetown. And how the NBA rigged that to give it to the Knicks, give Patrick Ewing to the Knicks. Since then, the Knicks have never had a number one pick. They've never had a number two pick. That's the scary part. The Knicks have been a terrible franchise. And they've never had a number one pick since Patrick Ewing. And you see the Spurs. They had one with David Robinson in 87. They had one with Tim Duncan in 97. And if you remember, they had the 14th or 13th best chance of getting the number one pick. And they got the number one pick. And now this year, adding arguably the greatest prospect in NBA history. This could set this team up for another 15, 20 years to build a team around this kid. I don't know. I don't know if the lottery is rigged. We, we were speaking about it last week with the NHL. As, as over the last, what was it, seven years, eight years, they've done a lottery for the, NBA, the NHL. They took that away. I, I, I don't like this lottery thing. I really don't. I really don't. Now everybody's going to say, well, look at Dallas. They choked at the end of the season because they wanted to get a higher chance to get the number one pick. It didn't work out for them. They had the number, number 10 pick. I just think that when you look at the way these lotteries fall together, and what, what's next? The NFL's going to do this? Uh, the NFL really can't do it because they're really all based on tiebreakers. Isn't it? You're judging a range of 13 to 3 to 3 and 13 for most years. So I don't know if They'll find possible. a way. They will find a way. I mean, the NFL really, the, the tiebreakers enough is going to make it hard for a team to be able to actively tank like that badly to be able to do it. Unless, again, you're like the 0-16 Lions or something like that. Like even the Browns, when they had their winless season, they were at least playing hard. They weren't really showing that they were tanking. So I think it's hard for that kind of thing. But I always had this process with the NFL. NHL and the NBA draft lotteries, it all should, all should be based on either games back and points back, not necessarily just where you finish overall, because the Spurs and the and the Rockets were five games ahead of the Pistons. Like, the Pistons won 17 games all year. Like, why are they getting the same percentage? That makes no sense. It should be based on, you're, you're five games back, you should get a five-point higher percentage, or five more ping-pong balls or something like that. And same thing in the NHL, based on a point system. Like, there's no reason uh, Anaheim, Chicago, and, and Columbus should be that much bigger odds than the number four seed Arizona or number five seed Montreal. Like it's the same kind of thing. Like base it off of points and do total number of ping pong balls, not percentage. I'm not hating on the Spurs getting the number one pick, by the way. I, I could care less if the Spurs got the number one pick. It's just a little fishy how in nineteen eighty seven when they needed a pick they got the number one number one pick for David Robinson. And then in ninety seven when they had no chance of getting the number one pick, I think they had the thirteenth or fourteenth best chance to get the of the, the number one pick. It fell to them and Tim Duncan it changed everything for them. And and they landed on Kawhi Leonard who was a 16th pick right. a little bit later. Tony, Tony Parker was a late first-round pick. He turned out to be one of the better point guards in the NBA. And then Ginobili was a second-round pick, okay? And Ginobili became a Hall of Famer, too. So they, they got it right later in the first round, but it would have never happened. They would have never won those five championships with Tim Duncan if they didn't get Tim Duncan. And now they're getting this guy, Victor, when Banyama, okay, who is obviously... What experts are saying, the greatest prospect in NBA history. 
So uh, it just it turns me off. And uh, of course, the the a year that the Knicks could get one of these top prospects or get the best prospect in NBA history, they have a good season, and and they think Julius Randle is the future. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh boy. Hopefully they don't believe that because the bricklayer will keep laying bricks in the playoffs. But it it, it is really crazy when you look at. Uh, how this lottery works and who has the best chance of winning it. And uh, we've seen over the last couple of years, the Grizzlies or was it the Grizzlies? The Grizzlies went from the eighth chance, uh, eighth uh, best uh, best chance of getting the first pick and, and, and going second or third to get right, John Morant. Get John Morant. And I think the Pelicans who got Zion were seventh. Like they weren't even that high either at the time too. And I think it was, I forget who was the team that ended up getting screwed with number four because the Knicks were the fourth highest odds and got third. And I, there was some team that really got the screwed Knicks had right? the the Knicks had the best chance of winning the lottery in the Kristaps Porzingis draft. Right. And and maybe it was best for them that it didn't because as much as Carl Anthony Towns is a great player, he hasn't really panned out as much as everybody thought. And Okafor was has been an absolute bust, yeah. and that was the guy that the Knicks really wanted. Right. And the Knicks got the fourth pick, and they got Kristaps Porzingis, who. Has had a pretty good NBA career, and he was very good with the Knicks. He he's just been jumping ship to different teams. He went from Dallas to Washington now, and now he's a free agent. Maybe he goes back to Knicks. Who knows? But uh, it, it is it's absolutely crazy when you look at the Spurs and look who they uh, they have received in 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 the eighties and then the nineties, and now uh, the the 2023 NBA draft, they're going to get the best prospect in NBA history. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, who do we have on for Let's Parlay? Uh, we're waiting on Jonathan. Uh, Derek okay. will be joining us. All right, so we'll bring, we'll bring Derek in in a little while when John pops up. So we're looking forward forward to seeing John again, who did pretty well last week. Yeah, and he uh, won your uh, head-to-head matchup of the Twins and the Padres. The Twins ended up winning that game. Okay, so what was I? I was 3-1. and one. You were 3-1. and one, He was 3-1 and one as well. But right. he, he did not get his pick of the Golden State Warriors or come back from down 3-1 and win the series. I told him. Wes was wrong about that, too, by the way. Yes. Wes, you just lost yourself some money, okay? <laughs> I, just, I told him the Rangers aren't going to the NHL Finals. I said that. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I said go, there's no way in hell Golden State's going to the NBA Finals. I said, and, and both got, both teams did not make it to the Finals. But it will be fun. The Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA is going to be fun. The NHL, the Eastern and Western Finals is going to be fun as well. So uh, the Edmonton Oilers, where everybody thought, oh, Edmonton's going to win because they have the two best players in the world in Dreisaitl and McDavid, they choked. And that had a lot to do with Skinner and their goaltending. They need to find themselves a goalie. They really do. I, I mean, if they can reach out to the Boston Bruins in the offseason and maybe get Swayman or or Allmark, if they're willing to part ways with Allmark because he didn't really produce in the playoffs, I don't want to hear it from Jeff. That he, He's just not – He. I know this was this year, and we don't know what he can do back-to-back years in the playoffs, but Allmark is obviously not a good playoff goaltender. No. So – I think uh, being that he had one of the greatest goaltending seasons we've ever seen a goalie have, I would try to move him. You could get a lot back for him. So, and and they're a team that's in really uh, in salary uh, salary hell. 
going into the offseason, even though uh, they have some players that could be retiring and uh, and and they go, they're going to have to part some part ways with some of the players that they brought in at the trade deadline. Right, because so. they also just played New, paid Nugent Hopkins too, and they just paid Kyler Yamamoto, and they just paid Darnell Nurse. So they a lot of their core is set intact, but their depth that I worried about their third and fourth line, especially, and their defense really struggled, and uh, they just gambled on giving five million dollars to Jack Campbell. That didn't work. So mm-hmm. which goal are you going to try next, Edmondson? It's so very interesting. Uh, the Suns fired coach Monty Williams after four seasons after losing. Six games against in six games against the Nuggets. Williams had a 194-115 regular season record with the Suns and a 27 and 19 postseason record. Williams led the Suns to their first playoff appearance in 10 years when they made it to the play-in tournament during the bubble 2020. The Suns. The following year went to their first NBA Finals since 1992 and 93 with Charles Barkley, if you remember. Uh, the following season, the Suns won 64 regular season games, the most the franchise has ever won in a regular season. However, that that year and this year, they lost in the second round of the playoffs. The 76ers also fired head coach Doc Rivers, which I predicted before the season started after getting blown out by the Celtics 112 to 88 in game seven of that series. I think Doc Rivers' record in the game sevens, I think, is two and eight. It's six and ten, but I really I, I, I thought but, it was two but, and eight. But I think you're right that he's lost like six out of his last eight. I think it's something like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Doc had a hundred and fifty four and eighty two regular season record with the Philadelphia seventy sixers but just a 20 and 15 postseason record. This is the seventh time in his career a team Doc Rivers coached has been blown out in either a 3 1 or 3 2 series lead. Rivers is now 6 and 10 in his career. Uh, in Game 7s and 0-3 and overall with the 76ers as they lost to the Raptors in 2019 and the Hawks in 2021 and now the Celtics this year. The 76ers haven't reached the conference finals since 2001. Only the Knicks and the Wizards and the Hornets have droughts that long. So uh, it's unbelievable. And, and I, I will say this. Monty Williams will get a job. He will get a job either this coming year or the year after he is a good coach. Doc Rivers, he has bounced around, and he's gone to really good teams. He came from the Clippers. That team was a good team when he went there. Yeah. He had Chris Paul. He had, he had uh, what do they call that? Um, uh, Dunk, uh, Lob City. Lob City. Yeah, Lob City over there. And then he came from the Celtics. He only won one championship with that Celtic team. With Garnett, Pierce, and Ray Allen, they won one championship. That's crazy with that type type of talent. And for so many years of domination in the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics. And yeah, there were a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference. But they were by far the best team in the Eastern Conference when Garnett went there, when he was traded over there. And Kevin McHale practically gave him and gave Danny Ainge... Kevin Garnett. Now, Kevin Garnett was 32 years old. Oh, was he? Th- no, he's a little younger than that. I think he was 29 years old when he was traded to the um, the Boston Celtics. But he was there. He had four four really good years with Boston, dominant years. And he became one of the. He was the best one of the best power forwards in the league. But he became one of the elite power forwards of all time when he went to the Boston Celtics, and he won a championship. And that was that four years. The Boston Celtics were arguably the best defensive team in the league. So. 
And that wasn't because of Doc Rivers. It was because of Tom Thibodeau, just so everybody knows. If, if the defense was because of Doc Rivers, the 76ers would have definitely played better defense than they did in the later part of that series, especially. And Joel Embiid wouldn't have been exposed defensively as much as he was. I think Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches in NBA history. He is he is jump ship for how many teams? And he's gone to so many good teams and has only won one championship. Mm-hmm. I understand he won an NBA championship and he's an NBA champion. He won it with one of the greatest Boston Celtic teams, and it was. I mean, they had Boston. The Boston Celtics have had great teams. I mean, they had Bill Russell, and they won thirteen. I think it was thirteen championships right. with Bill Russell, or eleven championships with Bill Russell, and 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 then it moved to Larry Bird and and Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale those times, and Danny Ainge in in the eighties, the early eighties and early and early nineties, the dominance of those Boston Celtic teams, and now. You look at you look at the team that he took over with Garnett and Pierce, the, it's and and Ray Allen. I mean the dominance of that team and and that that type of you know that time of basketball. And now even now with Jason Tatum and and uh, Jalen Brown, if they stay together, <laughs> they're not going to stay together. I do not believe the Celtics are going to give Jalen Brown two hundred ninety five million dollars and then have to pay Jason Tatum a three hundred million dollar contract. I can't see them doing that. I, I could see them trading one or the other. They're going to keep Jason Tatum, especially what he did in Game 7. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He really is. And you want to talk about some of the greatest Duke players that ever come out of Duke? Jason Tatum could go go down as the greatest. Yeah, in terms of NBA success, probably. In terms of the one year at Duke, like he was good. But like you're not going to talk of it as a legacy for a one-year well, guy. Well, first of all, you're not going to get a legacy because done, the, game, yeah, the game has changed. College game has changed. It's one and done. They did a 30 for 30 for ESPN about it. And, and, and John Calipari will tell you the, the college game has changed. Now if they made it now with the, uh, the, the uh, NIL and, and the contracts that these players are getting, the money that they're getting, maybe they stay a little bit longer in college and, and, and develop a little quicker, or a little, little slower. So they get a chance to earn more money as a college player. So when they get into the NBA, they already have millions and millions of dollars. Maybe this NIL thing will change everything for college basketball. Who knows? Right, especially with a lot of those bigger schools, too, that are going to still get money from that, too. And also the conference expansion, too. Imagine a lot of these Pac-12 teams of the Big Ten as well. But uh, going back to Doc Rivers, though, you you nailed it with that Clippers team, though, too. That Clippers team, yes, they had Paul, Paul, uh, Blake Griffin. But think about the depth they had, too. They had guys like Jamal Crawford, who's one of the best six men. J.J. Redick, one of the best six man great shooters he knew turkoglu was always a good playoff wasn't player. he there with paul george too uh he was yeah, yeah at a, little, the end. a little bit yes, yes, he, was. yes he, he was he had a good team there with paul george right and Kawhi so, Leonard, he didn't coach Kawhi Leonard, yeah, but that's because he, of his knee injury. Right, he he didn't coach Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard was hurt most of the time he was there, and I don't think he came back until that 2021 season. That was the year they fired him because they uh, they underwhelmed and didn't even make a conference finals in any of those years. They blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets in the bubble, and they blew a 3-1 lead to a James Harden Rockets team that honestly was just James Harden and Eric Gordon and not much else. Like, it wasn't an overly good team. And the sip of these 3-1 leads that they've blown is just crazy, and he, they've blown a lot of 3-2 leads. I think eight total. Some NFL news. Josh Harris Harris officially purchased the Washington Commanders at a deal that is worth $6.05 billion. Harris, who is the majority owner of the 76ers and Devils, is partnering with NBA legend Magic Johnson, Mitch Rails, uh, a longtime business partner and investor, David Blitzer, with whom Josh Harris co-founded 
uh, the investment group Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Harris also has a small stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers as, Steelers as well. I, I don't know how that works. If he owns now, he's the majority owner for the Washington Commanders, could he own a little piece of the Pittsburgh I don't know. I think he has to sell that. He probably I don't know how it works. Probably, yeah. Other members of the new ownership group, including Michael Sapier, uh, CEO of ProShares, and former Google CEO Eric Schmidt. Dan and Tanya Schneider said about the sale, we are very pleased to have reached an agreement for the sale uh, of the Commander's franchise with Josh Harris, an area native and his impressive group of partners. We look forward to the prompt uh, completion of the transaction and to rooting for Josh and the team in the upcoming years. Harris net worth is approximately $7.6 billion and surpassed, uh, surpassed the record for the sale of any American sports team by over $1 billion. This is good for, this is good for football. Josh Harris, say whatever you want about him. When he went and he took over for the 76ers, he made them a winning team. When he went to the New Jersey Devils, they were a winning organization. They started to fall apart. They sold the team. He bought the team. And now you see the transition. It took a little while. And Josh Harris has been the owner for the Devils, I think, eight years now. Nine years. This is a lot of their playoff job, yeah. And he, he's, he's seen this team make the playoffs. He's seen this team go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think he even seen them go to the Stanley Cup Finals. I, he, they were, yeah, they went to the Stanley Cup against the Kings. That would have been his first year, yeah, nine years. Josh Harris has shown in all professional sports that he's a good owner. And his sports teams, every single team he's taken over and has run, has become a legitimate team for those leagues. So... The fact that you look at where Josh Harris is, Harris is as an owner and how he transitioned his billions into even more billions. And now with franchises, franchises are just – look, he just bought a, t a franchise for $6 billion. I mean I remember in the – I think it was the 70s when George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees. He bought them for $10 million. And they were, and they were in debt, the New York Yankees, when he bought them. Look at what the Yankees are worth now. Yeah, the Yankees are. If if they were to be sell, sold right now, they would probably be sold more than any any team any in any sports besides maybe the Cowboys will sell more than yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, that's probably the only one though. Which like, is at crazy. Least American sports. Which is crazy. And that's George Steinbrenner. He changed the game. He changed you know the TV deals. The Yes Network was the first professional sports team network that came out. With their own network. The Yankees. Then it transitioned. Now every single team has their own network. And it's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. The game has changed. The endorsements. The advertisements. The sponsorships. They have changed. Everybody keeps talking about what Goodell has done for the NFL. If you're a big organization. You're bringing in millions and billions of dollars of, you know... And, you know, deals for jerseys and hats and, and, and food, full food sales. And, and they're, now your, uh, your, your, your name's all over Budweiser and Bud Light and Coors Light. 
and who knows what kind of like money with uh, betting and stuff like that too, fantasy sports that they might be partnering with these other guys too. That's a huge industry in itself. The, the I mean, the sports industry. If you want to buy something, you have billions and billions of dollars. Buying a franchise is, is to me is the number one thing you should do. The number one thing you should do is buy a franchise. I remember when, uh, I forget who the guy, he lied about buying the Islanders. Well, what was that? Uh, they did a 30 for 30. I forget his name. Um, he was a guy from Texas, and he claimed he had over $150 million in his bank account, and he really didn't have anything. He borrowed $80 million from one of these banks, and then he needed to pay, all he needed to do was pay Islander ownership, pay him $14 million. I think every single, like every other month for, for like 12 months or something like that. And he, he would own the Islanders completely and he couldn't find that $14 million. He winded up. It was, and honestly he had nothing. He had nothing. He owned the Islanders for four months or five months. Is that why everybody thought the team, like when I was a kid, what was, was his name to go, to go to Kansas city, all those rumors, like, is that yes. why they're, they're, that was the reason why that's crazy. Well, Charles Wang and his, his group actually, after after all of that happened and and that fell through, uh, ownership from the Islanders actually sold the team for thirty million dollars more. So if anything, you look at you know that particular fail of this uh, fail of sale of the New York Islanders, it helped the Islander ownership at that time sell the team for more money. So I, I don't know what his name. Look up his name. I forget his name, but. Uh, I, I saw years and years ago. I saw the thirty for thirty, and it's a it's a really interesting story. And and I don't think you'll ever see something like that again. And now the NHL has like these these rules. Now they have to see how much money you have in your account, and it, it's crazy. John Spano, Spano, yes, it was yeah. John Spano when he when he bought the team with nothing. I think he only had like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in his bank. Wow! And he found a way to to borrow eighty million dollars from I forget what bank it was. It was eighty million dollars. He gave eighty million dollars when they were they were signing uh, on the deal, and he owned the team for four months when they signed that deal. But he had to pay the Islanders every other month fourteen million or seventeen wow. million, and he had to pay it in like a certain amount of time. And he couldn't fi- he couldn't find that fourteen or seventeen million. If he if he could have just paid one time, uh, you know, one seventeen one um, what do they call it? Uh, loan payment. One I guess one seventeen million dollar loan. He would have owned the Islanders completely fully, and then the Islanders yeah. would have had a problems, uh, you know, by getting the team back, and and it would have went through a lawsuit. He even said, I remember, if I'm not mistaken, Spano said he could have put the Islanders in so much debt they would have went bankrupt, and he could really? have ruined the organization <laughs> yeah, as a whole. And at crazy. the time, he didn't want to do that because a lot of he would have hurt the Islander fans. And I remember at the end of that thirty for thirty, he said, I should have done it. Wow. So it, it it's. I remember watching it. I think it came out in 2014 or 2015 uh, on the Spano thing. It, it's an interesting documentary, 30 for 30. If you haven't checked it out on ESPN, if you're an Island fan, you're a hockey fan, you should check it out. It's a crazy story and how he was staying at the Garden City Hotel and he was partying. And he was hanging out with prostitutes and all this crazy stuff. And he was using Islander money. He, he took... Like $150,000, $250,000 from the organization to, to stay at hotels, order food, and, and obviously pay for hookers. So it, oh, so he was Dan Snyder before Dan Snyder. <laughs> well, Dan Snyder was actually using his own money. You know, oh, so. no, he was smuggling from season ticket holders, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that. But Dan Schneider was a billionaire. This guy had nothing. Fair enough. You know, so, I mean, Dan Schneider didn't pay a lot of his bills, but he was still worth billions. He right. still owned organizations. This guy owned nothing. So it is a crazy, crazy story with Spano. So 
if you haven't checked it out, uh, Kevin Conley actually is uh, he directed it or, you know, he's the voice of the documentary. So it, it is really, really good. He produced it and everything. So uh, so Josh Harris becomes a new owner in the NFL. I think that's great for football. It's great for the commanders. Maybe he finds a place to build a new stadium or fix that stadium up. That stadium is falling apart. It is falling apart. I've heard through different people that are big Washington commander fans that they have gone to a couple of games over the last two years and said that when it gets loud over there, it feels the stadium, it feels like there's like a partial earthquake. It's so, like everything is shaking. And I think, uh, was it, Jalen Hurts that almost hurt himself. Yes, Jalen Hurts almost hurt himself because the uh, the railing at the end of the stadium, like the stadium, fell seats, apart. Right, section, fell on top of him. Almost fell on top of him. Like like a guy just really just he tried to leave his seat. He, it was the end of the game, and the railing just gave out. It almost hit Jalen. Hurts. Crazy. And Jalen Hurts didn't have a helmet on at the time, so it would have hit his head. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we're still waiting for John, right? Uh, I don't know where John is. Uh, Derek said he'll just heck to text him and he'll come. He'll come back in. All right, so. Text John. Find out what's going on with John. I, I, I want to message him a bunch. We'll uh, see. All right. So if if he doesn't go on, if he doesn't come on in the next 10, 15 minutes, we get Derek in, okay. and we'll do his let's parlay, and I'll do I'll do a couple of parlays for myself because gotcha. uh, I'm three and one, baby. Yes. I'm moving in the right direction. That was the first week I actually did it. That right? was the first week you actually submitted picks. Yes. So I will continue doing it. So if it's just me and Derek, we'll we'll do it that way. Uh, all right. So Saquon Barkley. This story seems to be growing even more legs, okay? And uh, Bob Brookover, an insider for NJ Advanced Media, said the Giants offered Saquon a deal worth about $13 million a year last season with incentives that would make him up to a $14 million player. New York, the New York Post insider Paul Schwartz, good friend of the show, also mentioned the, the contract would have been 60% guaranteed. Schwartz also added that Saquon market would have dropped off if he hit free agency, likely only getting a deal that uh, was a three-year, $30 million contract. Saquon's agent, Kin uh, Maya Lee, uh, said that he is not seeking to get more than Christian McCaffrey, which is making he's making a lot of money, who has the biggest contract among running backs, with uh, which is worth about sixteen million per year. The Giants currently have five point five million in cap space after giving Dexter Lawrence a contract worth about twenty three per year. The Giants also have twenty two million dollars in dead cap money. The Giants drafted Oklahoma running back Eric Gray. Uh, in the fifth round of the this year's NFL draft, uh, the Giants still have to decide what they're doing with their 2020 draft class, including safety uh, Xavier McKinney and left tackle Andrew Thomas, who they gave a fifth year option to. First of all, I, I, I could tell you what they're going to do. Andrew Thomas has been, if not the best tackle in football, he's been the second or third best tackle in all of football. If you look at his numbers and his PFL, I I mean, he's right now second in the NFL. So their number one priority, especially how bad their offensive line is, it's really bad. Andrew Thomas should be their number one priority. As a matter of fact, Dexter Lawrence, I would have shelved. Honestly, you do not find tackles as good as Andrew Thomas. They don't grow on trees. 
This guy is going to demand $25 million a year. Mm-hmm. That's what Laramie Tunsil's making, so he's going to push for that. Whether what are they going to do with them? Question. I mean, right now their cap is in a really bad situation. You better hope Leonard Williams takes a pay cut. <laughs> well, he will take a pay cut, but how much? Right. How much is it going to take? And they only have $5.5 million on a cap space. And their cap space, they're going to have a little bit of cap space, dead space next year. Mm-hmm. So how are they going to pay Andrew Thomas? And they just gave, and listen, Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. He is a good quarterback. He did it one year. And you didn't give him the fifth-year option. I told the, I, I said this on the show last year. I don't care what he does in his fourth year. I would have extended him. Because you don't know what you're going to get in the draft. You don't know how bad you're going to be. Everybody knew the NFC was going to be bad last year. So I I didn't understand why the Giants didn't give him his fifth-year option. But where the Giants are right now, Andrew Thomas is in his fifth year. He becomes a free agent. They'll probably franchise him next year. It will piss him off. Because he knows how good he is. If you look at his numbers, there might be one tackle that's been better than him in the last two seasons. Fred Williams. That's it. He's their only offensive lineman that's any good. And that's the truth. They have four other positions on that line that needs to be filled. Now, they added their center Schmitz, who they drafted in the second round. They were lucky that he fell to them. But, but we don't know how good he's going to be in the NFL. Everybody says, being that he was in Minnesota, he, he's a fantastic prospect. But he has to produce in the NFL. We have heard this many, many times. Does anybody remember Hernandez when the Giants drafted him in the first oh, round? Yeah. I'm sorry, in the second round? Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be he a first round pick yes, because he of the He fell combine. to the second yeah. round. And I remember Mikey C and everybody telling me how good Hernandez was going to be. Oh, he fell to them. He's going to be sensational. How long was he with the Giants? Four years? Yeah, now he's with Arizona with uh, Justin Pugh in the Giants offensive line retirement home. <laughs> uh, but you make, fun, make jokes. Justin Pugh has been an all-pro player. No, I know. Justin Pugh peaked. Uh, and last, a pro ball player. The last, first three years he went with to Arizona, he peaked really nicely. And now he's starting to have some injury issues, but still, like, yeah, he played very well. And Hernandez, his first year last year was okay, but still nothing special yet. I, I question this whole thing with the Giants right now, because the position that they're in, they don't really have great players in certain positions, in the big important positions. Daniel Jones could be the future. He could be the franchise, and I believe he could be. Okay, so let's say Daniel Jones is at a franchise position. So they have one guy right there. Defensive end. Who's their top defensive end? Probably probably Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Do you think he's the future? Yes. You do? I do. Because I didn't think he had a good season as a rookie. I, I, do, I did not think Kayvon Thibodeau had the year that everybody thought he was going to have. Not expectations-wise, but I still he think... He was overrated, dude. I still think, I still think in the small sample size because he did miss the first four games. Do you think he's Justin Tuck? No, different type of do player. You, uh, no, that's not what I'm asking. Do you think he's Michael Strahan? Probably not. Do you think he's OCU Mignor? Yes. I, think I don't think he's I think anywhere. He, I think he could be as good as OCU Mignor. Do you know how good OCU Mignor is? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you think Kevon Thibodeau and what he did. Go look at OCU Mignor's first year as a starter. You going to tell me Kevon Thibodeau had a better year than he not did? Not his first year because, again, he has the injury issues. But I think. But that's pre- not an excuse, Speedy. That's not my question. You look at Kevon Thibodeau because he came from Oregon. Everybody thought he was the best uh, offensive uh, defensive lineman coming out of la- that last year's draft. He wasn't. No, he wasn't. Hutchinson was better than him for sure. He wasn't. And, and, and to me, for any Giant fan that thinks that he's the future, you don't know what he's going to transition. And the guy has tremendous injuries. 
He had uh, problems in Oregon. He couldn't stay healthy in his last year or two years. He couldn't stay fully healthy. And now his first year with the Giants, he missed how many games? Three? Yeah, he missed his first four games, and I think he missed another one later in the season, too. So, yeah, not not ideal circumstances. Hopefully that changes and it's just minor injuries. At corner. Do they have the Do they have a number one stud that they believe no. is going? They don't. They no. drafted one. Hopefully but, that'll be it. But, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully doesn't sell me. We they drafted Baker. Where did he go? Oh God! I'm just, you, you say, oh God, but where did he go? Yeah, he was a Georgia standout. The guy gave up no. T- I think he gave up one touchdown in Georgia in the SEC. His whole career, right. he was there for three years, and he was horrible his rookie year. So I remember that. I rest my case. Okay, so. All right, so we set corner, defensive line, defensive end. All right, offensive tackle. They have, they have the future right there. Right. Could they pay him? Right. Could they pay him? So I, I think the four most important positions when it comes to football. I think defensive end, quarterback, number one DB, and uh, offensive tackle. Those are the four. Most important positions you need to fill as an NFL team if you want to be an elite team, if you want to be a dominant force in the NFL. What are you smiling at? No, no, Snug's commenting. No, Snug, we're not bringing back Eli Apple. For the love of God, I don't need more torture of bad corner play. I'm just saying, the Giants have one guy. I don't know if Daniel Jones is the guy, so I'm going to keep Daniel Jones out of it yet. We have to see him do it back-to-back years. The only guy they have at any of those positions is Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas. That's that's scary. That's scary. And you and everybody says, well, they made the playoffs. They're in the NFC East. The NFC is horrible. This year, does anybody think the NFC is any good? Come on. The NFC stinks. The Eagles are going to dominate the NFC by far this year. They have the Georgia Bulldogs. We're going to call them not the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to call them the Philadelphia Dogs. That's what they are. I'm sure Jeff is going to love that nickname. Oh, I know. I know Derek likes that. I know my, my agent loves that too. <laughs> They're all Eagle fans, so <laughs> uh, lots of Eagles fans in the Mountain family. All right, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we have Derek Mountain. We have Reno Johnny. When we come back, as you all know, we do this every single week. Let's parlay here on the Sports Lamouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are listening, or you're listening to the... We are listening, but you are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. And remember, guys, go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. The Wise Guys, Game On, the Sports Loudmouths, which we are on live right now, 7 p.m. every Wednesdays, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great shows, great content, and great guests. Listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have Derek, a.k.a. Big Baby Mountain. How's that? Big Baby. Instead of... We we had a couple of big babies in the NBA, and, and we had some... I think we had a big baby in the NFL, so... Derek's new nickname is Derek Big Baby Mountain. And then we have Johnny Reno or Reno Johnny. I don't like that. We're going to call him Johnny the Beard Jorson. How's that? How's that? I like that. Uh, As we call this segment, 
Let's parlay. For Let's Parlay. We got the beard. We got the baby. We are here. What's going on, boys? Uh, just excited. We're Spurs here, so we've been, we've been partying all day, right? Number one pick. Doing bias coming coming over here. Listen, so I, listen. I got to be biased to that. Okay, I, I am tired of watching this team every single decade get a number one pick. It really makes me sick to my stomach. The NBA should be ashamed of themselves. Stop messing with the lottery. It's ruining the game, baby. It's ruining the game. You guys have Victor for the next twenty years. But I, I kind of I like the way what they did with the lottery. I'm sure you do. Be, you could tank, you know, but you could tank and you were like almost guaranteed the number one. Mm. Now you could tank and you like we saw with Detroit, they got the fifth, mm. right? So it it opened up chances where you can't just throw away a season and get the number one guarantee. Let me ask um, you a question. I, Let me ask you a question. Uh, the uh, Knicks don't tank. Thirty years of just terrible basketball, no, just terrible. and they haven't had one first pick in the first round ever. Since Patrick Ewing, since 1985. They don't deserve it. Oh, they don't deserve it. <laughs> Look, but you know what? Thank you. I, I, I want to say this. I wanna, I'm gonna Go ahead. Be, say it. Say it. The New York Knicks oh, remind God. me, and their fans remind me, and I'm, I'm going to say this as a Cowboy fan, <sighs> much like the Dallas Cowboy fan base. Oh, stop it. Are, stop it. They, they think they're owed it. The Cowboy fans every year, this is our year. The Knicks fans, they think they're the, – those two fans what? are obnoxious. And I'm a Cowboy fan. I'm a Cowboy fan. For, first of all, I, first of all, I don't think – honestly, and I'm a Knicks fan, but I don't think we uh, were uh, owed anything, first of all. And y'all were in the street celebrating a, a – Because a we stink. Because they stink. <laughs> I mean, you're celebrating winning one game against Miami. I'm jumping for joy. Uh, honestly, I thought they win that series. They were a better team. How do you how do you play that bad against a Miami Heat team that was playing how many G League players in that series? I mean, come on, man. You can't lose against a team that has two or three G League players on that roster. All right. I think you need to. I think you need to get rid of Julius Randle. Um, no dog, we'll bricklayer himself. We'll I mean, I there, I would have had a better chance hitting shots than Julius Randle did in that series, okay? He's absolutely oh, yeah. horrific, and I don't care if he's an all-NBA player. I think, I think for him, though, the problem with Julius Randle is that one shot he misses, and if he misses another, his body language is terrible. Yeah. And it, the rest of the team kind of sees that. The fans see it. Like, it's just like he almost, like, gives up. Like, I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> you just, it, it was not a good series for them. Well, let's send him to the 76ers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I see Derek shaking his head. <laughs> Derek, what's up, big baby? You like that? Not much. Not much. You like that nickname, big baby? I've never heard that one before. But All I'll right, take it. Derek, so big baby good. mountain. I like that. Would you rather be called that or uh, have Jeff claim that your name is an alias? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't exist. Yeah, well, or, yeah he, he, here's the thing: you're, you're an imposter. Both your brothers are nowhere near as tall as you. Okay, your your brother your brother Brian is like five eight. Your your other brother is like what five eleven. And you're you're six four. So you are the big baby of the family. So there you go. Derek Big Baby Mountain. And then we have Johnny. Now you're going to be called the Beard. Okay. You are the Beard. Just like James Harden, 
You are the beard. But you're better than James Harden. Oh, you do. <laughs> anybody's better than James Harden. Okay, he he's the yeah, worst like of all the bricklayers in the NBA. Let me tell you. But that's just. And by the way, anybody trying to compare James Harden to Allen Iverson, shame on you. Shame on you if you think he's anywhere close to the talent Allen Iverson is. And I was. Or was. I think. I think. I think the Embiid talk needs to stop too. Because. Mm. Because he pretty much campaigned mm-hmm. the last two years about why he thinks he's the MVP. Like, that was a campaign speech every time he didn't get it. And, okay, here it is. And you, I've never seen an MVP uh, play that bad. And he's the only MVP, actually, now uh, in the last 20 years, uh, maybe ever, to never make a conference championship at least sometime in his career. Wow. Ever. All right, he's he young. And don't – you're going to get big baby mad. He is a 76er fan. 30. He is going to cut you through. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not he's young anymore. He's not young anymore. His size, with his size and his skill set, at 30 years old, mm. how many of those those type of players go to 36, 37? That's, mm. that is, that's rare. By 33, he's he's probably going to be like on a steep decline. He is not a young guy anymore. Oh, he's 29. Okay, so he's not he's not thirty yet. He'll be thirty next. He'll be thirty next. I know he, he but he's he just turned twenty nine. He just turned twenty nine. He's yeah. still he's still young. He's in the prime of his career. He could still have another three four good years, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, come on, get out of here, this guy. This guy when he's healthy he gives you thirty points. He gives you Man. ten or eleven rebounds, and he's, he's you said win, and he's a pretty good passer for a big man. He really is. Yeah. He looked like he never saw a double team before against mm. Boston at, at a certain point. Well, I mean, Jason yeah. Tatum looked like crap until Game Seven. So I mean, until until four minutes of Game Six because they were they were losing that game. Yeah, they were going to lose that game, and then he just he took game over. Six, he just how was it? Jason Jason Tatum special, but guess what? He came from Duke. That's why. Uh, <laughs> uh, He's going to turn out to be the best Duke player ever to play in the NBA. I, I really do believe it, but uh, that's just I me. Mean, who, okay, who's the best Duke player right now? What happened? Uh, who, who who's the greatest Duke player, if if you were to right look right now? now? Grant Hill, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I would say yeah. Grant Hill. He's going to be better than Grant Hill? 100%. If he's, it, it, I think he'll be better than Grant Hill in the next two years. I, I mean, yeah. what is he, 24, 25 years old? Because he's been durable his whole career, too. Like, Grant Hill had all his injuries. So. I mean, the guy could shoot. He gets yeah. into the paint. He could pass. He, 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 he does everything. He might be an MVP next, next couple of years. We've kind of gone to a big man. MVP. Honestly, honestly, he, he might be if he didn't fall apart, you know, in the middle of the season with maybe the, the little bit of injuries that he had, and he, he, he got into a slump for like 10 games. He didn't play well. Yeah. But if he didn't get into that, he would have won the MVP. Which I, he did the year before, too. Yeah. Like, right at the All-Star break, like right before that, he had a month where he was just really bad, and it hurt his MVP status that year, he too. Puts it all together. He, is in, he is in the conversation. 100%. For, he will be for MVP. many, many he years. Might, he, might be, he might be a good value, because right now we're kind of in a big man-oriented mm-hmm. MVP, right? We had Giannis, Giannis, mm-hmm. uh, Nikola, Nikola, Embiid. So it's kind of gone a big man, but... Maybe in a couple of years it might. Couple of years next year, I, I think he could be an MVP next year. I mean, I've been fighting with Jeff on you know <laughs> off air about him and Kevin Durant. I still think, in my opinion, Kevin Durant's better. He's a better player than he is, but he wants to fight with me and argue with me. Oh, but who was uh, who was first team uh, NBA? I I said I don't care. I mean, Kevin Durant can't stay on the court. The guy can't stay healthy. But when he's on the court, he's one of the top three, top four best players in the league. So to argue that, right now, if, if, if you were to ask me who I want in a big game, I'm taking Kevin Durant. 
Okay, that's that's me. Okay, but that doesn't take away how much I like Jason Tatum. Yeah. So. I, the only thing I say with that is like he just had a big game and he started one for ten, and I was and it. Like, I think he's hurt. I don't think that. That's I don't think he's one hundred percent healthy either. But he has he yeah, hasn't been one hundred percent healthy when he was traded from the Nets, and then he hurt his ankle yeah. again. So, sure. but and they only played seven games together before the playoffs, and they expect like you can't expect. I don't know what, what, what John, fans were expecting. My beard friend, let me tell you something. If a guy who doesn't is not healthy averages almost twenty nine points a game and is going to give you about almost ten rebounds a game and for a big five assist and a guy has two blocks or a block and a half a game and he's not even at the top of his game, that that should sell you right there who's better. I mean, Jason Tatum's a fantastic player, but I, if you were to ask me right now, who do I want in a big game, healthy? I'm taking Kevin Durant. I'm just, yeah. that's my opinion. But that doesn't mean Jason Tatum isn't great. That doesn't mean Jason Tatum isn't the future. I think he is Kevin Durant, you know, in the future. I think he's the next big superstar power forward in this NBA or small forward, wherever he plays. Yeah, depending on what line yeah. they run. Whoever yeah. they're playing against and how he matches up. All right, guys. You guys ready? You ready? All right, Speedy, we're going to go with John first. Then Derek will we'll go back and forth. You guys, you, John, you pick first. Then Derek, you go. Then John, and I'll I'll add a little bit in there too. So I, I've got a couple and, of picks. Uh, can you? What did I go last week? Did three I, and one. Three, three and one. Three and one. Just that. You just didn't have your Warriors series. one. You didn't trust. The, uh, man, you trusted the Corgi too much. Um, you were okay. right about baseball, by the way. I was. Uh, we'll start in uh, uh, hockey. Hockey mm-hmm. game one. Carolina mm-hmm. uh, taking on Florida. Uh, I've always said dangerous teams are teams that are playing with with uh, nothing to lose, and that's the Florida Panthers. Um, they really, if you look at the, they should have lost to Boston. If Omar doesn't make a terrible mistake in overtime, like you don't know how that game goes. It, it, Boston could have closed it out. Florida's playing on house money. They're dangerous. I do believe that the, the, the ball, the, the, the little court is turning back into a pumpkin. I think they're done. I think Carolina's the better team. I think they're the better goalkeeping uh, team. The better defensive team. I think they have enough scoring. Florida, at times this year, we forget, even though they got a lot of uh, goal scores on their team, we forget they struggled offensively. There was a time where they were unable to put the, there was like a 15, 20 game stretch where they were like averaging like 1.3 goals a game. It was terrible, right? Robovsky had to carry the load. I just think that it's this team right now is going on the road and they've had to do that all series long. Eventually, fatigue kind of sets in. I did put this out uh, a couple of days ago, it was at minus 125. Um, it is now minus 140, um, but I still believe that I think they're going to be the winning uh, team in this series. I think game one is a way to set the tone for that. So I'll take I'll take the Carolina Hurricanes game one minus 140. Derek, how about you? I'm the exact same. That was one of my picks too. Um, Carolina's five and one at PNC. It's been one of the best home ice advantages in all hockey. I mean, even though they've had their playoff struggles under Brindamore, they've always consistently dominated at PNC. So um, I think there's going to be a little bit of a stylistic shock for Florida going from a Toronto team that's top heavy, super skilled. Uh, They want to play on the boards. They're not the most physical team. Um, They don't have a great bottom six. It's kind of non-existent. Now you're going to a Carolina team who might be the fastest team in hockey, most physical team in hockey. They have a bottom six. Um, they have much stronger goaltending. Whatever you want to say about Freddie Anderson, he's much better than what Toronto has. Um, so I, I'm rocking with Johnny here. I love Carolina minus 140 tomorrow. 
I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go with the over under in this game. I it's five and a half. I'm going to go with the over tomorrow, and I have Florida winning. I like too. And I have <laughs> and I have Florida game one. By the way, so I, I think they surprise everybody and beat Carolina in game one. But uh, that's not my pick. I'm going to pick the over uh, for my first pick, five and a half. All right, John, you're the next. Um, I'm going to stick in hockey, game one. Uh, full disclosure, okay, I, I'm, I'm a Knights fan. This is a homer pick, all right? Or I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Golden Knights, uh, game one. Uh, nobody puts on a show like Vegas Golden Knights. I actually tune in. I got to watch that, the pregame show, because it's just – best show on hockey and hockey um but then i look at like what they've done in this postseason it's it's been pretty remarkable this is a team that a couple years just last year missed the postseason right the first time ever and it was kind of a a, uh it for vegas knights fan who just became hockey fans probably five years ago right who never really watched hockey Uh, i became a fan because i'm from vegas i'm from reno i was like i'll be a vegas fan right but a lot of these fans this is like what we missed the playoffs this is that was brand new to them so this team kind of come in after missing the playoffs, really going out with with goal, they're kind of makeshifting their goalkeeping, right? They're they're putting they're plugging guys in that you know Aiden Hill had a, a good couple games to close out uh, the last series, and I just think that their offense they're kind of I think very consistent top to bottom. Um, they need to work on their power play, which has kind of been a struggle scoring the puck, but they did seem to pick it up in the last couple games. In the last series, they were, able, they were finally able to score. I think they were 2 of 18 at that point, and they were able to score on back-to-back power plays. So I, I expect them to kind of get this um, uh, uh, series a little bit easier than I think most would think. you got to look at Dallas, too. They, they kind of went 7 uh, against an overachieving Kraken team. They were fun to watch. I think I was a lot of people were going for the Kraken, right? Just kind of a fun fun team to kind of root for. Hmm. Dallas might be a little tired on some tired legs, and so I like the, the Vegas Knights here um, who – Coincidentally, they were pretty much underdogs like every game last series. Mm-hmm. So this is a different role for them to be the favorite amount of the room at minus 120, minus 125 or so. I- I'll take the home team, which is very scary when I'm taking two game one home teams in this in these NHL playoffs because the roads, the road team has been killing uh, uh, in this playoff. So I'll take both home teams game one. Derek? I'll stick uh, with your pitch. Just be, I'll piggyback off it, Errol. Um, I, I'm also on the over tomorrow, five and a half. Um, just piggybacking off what I said earlier, but Carolina, really fast, really physical. They live in front of the net. Um, Bob is not the strongest second chance, third chance goalie in terms of playing off rebounds. I think that might be a, a struggle point for him in this series. He was great in the second round against Toronto. Um, but against round one in Boston, he's a little bit more vulnerable. Um, maybe he regresses back to that round one form. Um, he, he really wasn't great this year. I know he's one of Vesna, but um, he hasn't really been that guy in Florida. So we'll see. But I, I have my doubts. Um, I love the over tomorrow. I mean, Florida is also a really good committee themselves. The Chuck, Barkov, they have the top end talent, but it's those second, third, fourth line guys that have really been getting it done. Anthony Duclair, I think, could have a really big mm. series. Yes. Um, so I, I love the over tomorrow. I love over five and a half. Well, I had tonight's game, so uh, basketball. So I'm, I'm going to still stick with it. I had Boston winning tonight on the money line. Uh, I did believe they were going to beat uh, Miami. As a matter of fact, I think they beat Miami uh, in six. I think they went four games to two. 
I, I don't know if Miami has enough firepower to beat this Boston team, especially if if Tatum actually plays at a high level. If Tatum plays at a high level, this could go this could go in four. I, I just don't know how good Miami is. The fact that they got through the New York Knicks shows you uh, the lack of trust that the Knicks players have in Julius Randle. I don't think uh, the Boston Celtics have a lack in trust in Jason Tatum or uh, Jalen Brown. I think both guys will show up. I, so I, I have actually, right now, a Boston winning on the money line tonight. So I'm going to stick with that, and I think that I, I think they're going to win tonight. I think they're going to win uh, game two on uh, on Friday, too. So... I think they're going to go up 2 nothing, and then Miami will go home and win a game. So that's just my opinion. Uh, Jonathan, before we get you to expect, uh, Chaz actually is in the comments section. He said he's not a big fan of either one of your nicknames. Well, I mean, he, named, he, he gave his name Chaz, okay? I'm not a fan of his nickname, okay? He gives his name Chaz. His name's not Chaz. So. <laughs> I lo- you know, I, 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 I just want to get under his skin on this because oh. – I, I, I don't like the name, so could I give you a new nickname? Could I give you a better name than Jazz? Oh, all right. How about Devin? I like the name Devin. Could I call you Devin? Devin Filardi. What about that, Devin? I all mean, right. we, we, I know a couple. I know an NFL player who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers with the last name Filardi. Yes. Gerald yes, Filardi. Do. Yes, we do. Uh, he's a linebacker. He played linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Friend of, uh, friend of, friend of mine, friend of the show. So there you go. I'm not going to call you Gerald, but I, I like Devin. Okay? Can I call you Dev? Dev? All right. We'll I like he, that. We'll see if he comments back on the approval of, I don't the, think he likes of that nickname. Go ahead, Jonathan. I think Number he's going to stick with Chaz. Uh, yeah, we'll just uh, – so we're going to go to to baseball, um, and I'm going to take the Orioles tomorrow, uh, minus 145. Mm. They are have a chance to win uh, their – what is it? Their ninth of their last ten series. Uh, they've been phenomenal. They also have a guy by the name of Yenier Cano who is pitching at a historical pace um, right now. He's faced uh, 67 batters. He's had allowed, I think he's allowed four hits, three of which travel less than 100 feet. That's insane. Mm. Three of his four hits allowed have been infield hits. Um, and the in, and he, so he's allowed one true hit, and he's walked zero batters, struck out 24 people. He's insane. So if any league can happen tomorrow with Tyler Anderson on the hill for the Angels, which I believe the Orioles can score, one of the top 10 offenses in the league. I think they get up on him early. That bullpen comes in with with uh, Bauman, Yanir Cano. Is there any kind of goes, get them out on there. I just don't see the Angels. Um, I, this is the first time I've said this in a long time, but the Orioles are for real. Mm. I, I think I, I believe so. He's an uh, Oriole fan, guys. <laughs> to win to win the series, and you know I've been as, as a fan, I do have to really limit when I give them out. Um, I have I've only given them out like four times, five times this season because um, I, I can't just give them out every day because I'm a fan, right? So. I really limited. I've bet against him twice, and I've lost both times. Hmm. So uh, I'm going to try and just kind of be limited on that. But tomorrow I like him against the How are you an Orioles fan and a San Antonio fan? How how is that possible? Yeah, so I grew up – so I was born – so I was born in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, San Antonio – my parents were San Antonio fans Mm -hmm. um, and Cowboy fans. So I Mm kind of like just grew up that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But we lived in Baltimore. My parents didn't like baseball. (laughs) I did. And in Baltimore, that was when the Orioles were good at the time, mm-hmm. 90s, right? So they were, they were good. good, right? Yeah. Cal Ripken and Roberto Alomar and Brady Anderson. And I kind of just became a fan. And then when I moved away, I just never stopped being a fan. And when I was a kid, like, I, I was a fan. And then they, my favorite color is orange. I was like, this is my team. And this, they've been my team ever since. I like the colors and I like the jerseys. I'm not a big fan of the Orioles. But they're a good team. They're an up-and-coming team. And they're going to they're gonna be... 
in the American League East, you know, in the next five years, they're going to be a top two team in, in all of the American League. That's how good they are. keep all those guys. They're yeah. going to be yeah. really, really good. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Is the American League East is the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays and the Blue Jays, who all seem to be good every year. So Yeah, but with just, baseball, you control these guys for six years when they get called up. So it, yeah. it's – I mean, baseball is different now. They try to – they try to make sure that these teams have their players, you know, in the middle of their primes. So, yeah. I mean, look at Machado. Machado finally had an opportunity to leave, and he what was he twenty nine thirty, right? It was like when he was what was I think he was. I'm not gonna lie, like that was a conversation. Like I guess the management told him like we are we're completely rebuilding, mm-hmm. so we're gonna move. He was he was he was he wanted to get out mm-hmm. too, but they're like we are gonna completely rebuild. There's no point of you even staying, or even of us paying you. I think it was we'll 20 money. Yeah. We did. We we a couple a couple of good prospects in that trade, and, and now he's out. He got he's going to restructure the contract in San Diego after this season. Uh, I believe he, he wants just to got stay. an extension. Yeah. Was it uh, 12 years, yeah, 350? Oh, he did right. Yeah. He said he, he was going to opt out, so right. they extended. They him just down. gave it to him. He needed to. He he in his when he was up for that big contract, it was about two years too early. Mm. So he saw all the money being made. He's like, "Yo, what the hell?" And that's why he's like, I'm, "I'm, I want to restructure this because he saw he missed out like 150 million dollars because because yeah. it was two years up." So, lucky, yeah. lucky guy, man. Could you imagine me. making 350 million? I wouldn't even know what to do with that. I mean, Wait till you see Otani. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I got some plans for 350 million dollars. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. You can buy uh, our friend Devin over here a new house. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding, Chaz. All right. What do you got, Derek? All right. I'm going to go to basketball. I'll go to the West Coast. Um, game two tomorrow. I'm going to go with D'Angelo Russell under 13 and a half points. Wow. Uh, he has hit eight of the 13 games in postseason. So, okay, what gives? Um, he's been playing pretty well. I just think this is not a D'Angelo Russell series in terms of matchup. Um, and you saw that game one. Played 31 minutes, had eight points, but... Every single time down, it seemed like they were picking on him, whether it was Jamal Murray or Bruce Brown handling the ball. They were attacking DeAndre Russell, going downhill, getting into the teeth of the defense, kicking it back to Jokic in that little pocket in that pick and roll, or kick it out to KCP, Porter, Aaron Gordon, all those guys are full of shooters. I think Darvin Ham, in terms of the adjustment, is going to go to way more Rui Hachimura. He's going to go way more to Jared Vanderbilt who had played John Morant really, really well in the first series. So I think that's kind of the adjustment you're going to see. Anthony Davis was playing off the ball. Mm-hmm. He wasn't covering Jokic in that fourth quarter, and they had a lot more success. So um, I think Ham is going to compromise and sacrifice some offense, which is D'Angelo Russell, a little bit more juice on defense um, and see if they could kind of stunt this well-oiled machine that is the Denver Nuggets offense right now. So this is just a volume play. This is what I think a matchup play is. Like, I don't see D'Lo getting 30 minutes tomorrow. I think he could easily find himself out of the rotation wow. in this series hmm. um, just because he's a rhythm guy. That's a guy that kind of needs his 25, 30 minutes to get in the flow of the game. He needs the basketball in his hands. He's a pick-and-roll guy, but – I don't know if that's kind of, that's his kind of series. I think Braun and AD are going to do whatever they want on offense. Um, and even Reeves had a big game, game one. So yeah. we'll see. But I, I don't think I don't think Russell's going to touch this number. So I, I really like this under. I have uh, baseball tomorrow at seven forty-five. 
Thursday night baseball, the Dodgers in St. Louis, Adam Wainwright versus Urias. I, I think Uriah, uh, uh, Julio Urias is going to win. I, I think he's one of the best young pitchers in baseball. I, I Right now, it's a minus 45 for the Dodgers. I have the Dodgers winning on the money line in the game. I, the Dodgers really haven't taken off yet this year, but I think their lineup – uh, as they as the season moves forward and it gets warmer outside, I think there's so much power, so much talent in this lineup. They're so good, and and this pitching staff last year, the reason why they didn't win in the playoffs last year is their pitching staff was absolutely beaten up. They they lost two of their best pitchers in the second half of the season. They didn't play any. They didn't even go into the playoffs with uh, their top two pitchers. So I think this year they're. I believe they have the edge as far as in the National League. I, I, besides the Braves, they're the second best team in the in the National League, and I I think as the season progressively moves forward, I think they're going to be the best team in the National League. Give me the Dodgers on the money line tomorrow Thursday night Thursday night baseball. One more, one more, Johnny. Well, that's me. Um, so I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna go opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I I. I I think I'm going to go against okay. um, the Dodgers tomorrow. I'm going to take the Cardinals here, getting a plus 125, 120, mm-hmm. depending on where you get it at. Um, I, Wainwright's scary, but I'll tell you this, not impressed with the Dodgers' offense. And it sounds weird because they, they seem to be putting up a lot of runs. Right. When you go up and down their lineup, they got a lot of guys batting 200 or below. They got Austin Barnes in the nine hole out yesterday. He was five for like 60. Yeah, one. Really like good. they just, you're going to find them and they might be winning games. Their pitching kind of comes in. Their bullpen can be good. Can also struggle at times, um, but they're going to win some two, one games to one Oh games. And I just, to me, like that's not a winning recipe. If I'm going to try to back a team, especially laying that type of juice mm-hmm. and the Cardinals at 17 and 26. And this is where I believe they're actually one of the best teams in the national league. Um, they haven't shown it, They've struggled mightily on offense. They were, I think they lost 13 games out of 15 or something, and they were minus 150 and above. <laughs> They're actually the worst team in the National League right now. Last week, the, the last week, they have played well. Yes. They did. They were, I mean, at one point, they were like 9 and like 8, 19 or something. Yeah, they were second. Right? So second... They are turning it around. And you're getting plus money. It's Thursday night baseball. It's at home. It's home game. That's going to be a nice little crowd there on Thursday night. I just think, and I know Julio Rice is great, and Adam Rice struggled. I can just see this game. Like when you look at when you look at base statistics, it seems a little cheap for the Dodgers. It just kind of it makes me a little weary. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what the what the odds makers know, but what I do know is that sometimes they try to trick you. This seems like a trick for me. Give me the Cardinals and the plus money at home Thursday night baseball. Derek? So I'm sticking in basketball. I'm going to go to the series spread between Denver and L.A. Um, you could still get this price on FanDuel. I just checked it. Uh, Denver minus one and a half in the series. So basically, I'm expecting them to win before game seven um, at minus minus 114. So I think that's still a good like price. Before the series, I think it was like, you're hovering around even odds. Obviously, they won game one, so it's, you're going to eat a little juice now. But I still think this is a really good number. Um, as I said before, like I think this is a really tough matchup for LA in terms of picking matchups. Okay, you're going to go with more D'Lo, kind of sacrifice some offense. We, we, we've seen what the Nuggets have been able to do the first two rounds and the whole regular season. I mean, they're, they're unstoppable on offense. Jokic is the best player in the world right now. 
It's the best home court advantage in basketball. Uh, with the altitude, they lost four regular season games at home. Um, it has been no different in the postseason. They've been dominant. Um, and I worry about fatigue, especially with Bron and AD. The usage is going up. They, they're coming off two six-game series, two tough series, um, especially that Warrior series where they're running up and down a lot. Um, so I kind of worry about the longevity of them in this series. So I, I feel pr pretty good about Denver closing this out before game seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in five, if they can win game two tomorrow, split in LA, come back to Denver and win in game five. But even if that's not the case, if they come back, lose two in LA like they did with Phoenix, you can, you still see them capable. They, they won game five and then they won the elimination game against Phoenix. They're up by 30 at halftime. Um, I just think Jokic is going to be way too much for them for, for this series. So give me Denver minus one and a half on the series spread at minus 114. Interesting, 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 interesting. I'm looking for my final pick, and obviously everybody knows that I'm a boxing guy and an MMA guy, and uh, there's a big fight coming up this weekend, Lomachenko versus Devin Haney. I, I think, obviously, if you look at the matchups, uh, Devin Haney has, hasn't fought a guy like Lomachenko yet in his life. Now, Haney is an up-and-coming superstar. He's an undefeated fighter. He's fantastic. Uh, Lemonchenko has lost two fights. He's 17 and two. He's been, uh, I mean, obviously he's, he's getting up there in his age in the boxing world. I think he's like 32, if I'm mistaken. Lemonchenko is, uh, I'm looking at his age right now. Hold on one second. Uh, Lemonchenko is 35 years old. So he, he's getting up there in age. So I have Devin Haney winning the fight. Uh, it's going to go to decision. Uh, it will, he will win. On points and on all three cards. So give me Devin Haney. Uh, let me see what the the number is right here. I I'll have I have Devin Haney on the money line negative uh, two sixty uh, to Lomachenko's plus two hundred. So give me uh, Devin Haney minus two sixty. He wins the fight. Split decision. So there we go. We got our picks three and one. The Beard, Mr. John, uh, Johnny Boy, The Beard, and uh, obviously Derek Big Baby Mountain, okay? So because he's he's the big baby, you know, of his family. So I think that's perfect. So now you can tell your brothers that your your new nickname is Big Baby because I'm big and I'm the baby of the family. So I think that I think that works for you, man. I'm dude, you're it works. Dude, you're a giant compared to your brothers. It's crazy. I mean, when it you... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Really How tall is your father? 5'9". 5'9". Five, five, and, yeah. and, and Brian's 5'8". He tells me. And he says, on a good day, I'm 5'. He says he's 5'9". <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this. You do look like... You, you do look like Brian. You're just a bigger version. Yeah. No, we... We we look like my dad, but yeah, no, it do, it doesn't make any sense. My mom's like she's five seven. Her brothers are like six one, six two. So like, there's some it. height there, but still, it's it's really weird. You're a giant man. You're a big really baby. Weird. You're the big I'll baby. I mean, it, it it's good, but I like very it. Weird. I like it. So Derek, big baby mountain, and Johnny the beard. No, I don't like James. I hate when. James Harden calls himself the beard, okay? I, 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 I think he needs to shave that beard off. Maybe it'll make him a better player in the playoffs because he's been horrible, okay? I, I almost shaved it off the other day, but I asked my wife. I'm like, man, it's been like – You wouldn't look like right. I don't think you would ever look right if you shaved your beard. 
I think you look. I wouldn't. No. She's like part of me now. Mm. I think yeah. I think your wife needs to tell you to keep the beard. You're sexy where you are now, baby. We have a baby. Let's keep it going, baby. Jonathan started his Orioles playoff beard early. <laughs> That's it, man. I might put a future on this year um, because you can probably get really good value, man. I'll, probably, I'll be betting a future on them every year now until they win it. <laughs> yeah, listen, when you talk to Chaz, just call him Devin. See how he reacts to it. <laughs> Did he ever respond? No, no, no. He, not. he wants. To, he'll probably want to chuck. Want to cut my head off when I get him on. Uh, when I get him on uh, Moneyline Mania on Friday, he's going to probably chop my head off when I tell him that. So he gets so angry if I call him by his his, his real name. He he kill me. You know he does. It. My I name's don't even Chaz. Know his real name. I thought that was his real name. Mm, no, that's his nickname. But uh, I I love Chaz. I love him. Worldwide West, Johnny, Derek. Guys, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Thank you. Derek, thank you. Big Baby Mountain. Johnny, a.k.a. The Beard. I like that. You don't the like better, that? The better beard than James Harden. We'll call him the better beard. Yes, right? the better beard. Hey, he's a Spurs fan. It's fitting for him. The Spurs destroyed the Rockets. He's in the, the better beard. In the playoffs in 20, 2017 when James Harden was their best player. We'll just call him the better beard. I like that. The better it's, beard. Instead of the beard, the better beard. That's better. All right. The Johnny better the better beard. Yeah, that's better. Uh-huh. You send like that to it. him. You say that, the better beard. Because there's one beard already. We'll call him the better beard. Oh, yeah. All right. Knows how to come up in clutch situations. Oh, like... At least he knows how to do it. His team actually wins championships. That's right. Okay. He, he's got championship teams he's coaching over there in Reno. Okay. So Mr. Vegas over there, he's, he's loving it over there. Let me tell you, man. Yep. And uh, he will enjoy it even more if they have a parade. Yes. Uh, so we, you know, we're a little bit over the time, but we usually do go over the time on, on Wednesdays. We, we have a couple of things that we need to finish up talking uh, before we finish the show. Um, and then we have Bracket Wars. I do want to get through that uh, as we, we are in the semifinals right now. Yeah, we're in the final four. So that means tomorrow is actually going to be the Bracket Wars championship game. Good. And then we're going to go through players, greatest players, players of all, all right. time at uh, respectable you know sports and, and comparing and contrasting. So, um, yeah, before we, before we finish up, I, I do want to finish with the Saquon Barkley thing because uh, we didn't really get done with what we were saying. Quinn and Williams, too. The there was a story coming out. Uh, I think it was Rich Simini that posted it up over the weekend that Quinn and Williams stopped following the Jets, stopped following uh, the organization on every single platform. And I know people are sitting here and probably saying, "Uh oh, that means he's leaving. That means the Jets are going to have to trade him. He doesn't want to be here with the Jets." Let me tell you guys something, and I um, I, I hope I hope. Eric is listening to this because I I just think it's outrageous how Jet fans take it to a whole nother level. Number one, Quinton Williams, besides Aaron Rodgers on the roster right now, Quinton Williams is by far the best player on this roster. Okay? It's, It's not even close. As good as Sauce Garner is, all first team, everything, fantastic. Sauce Garner, there's a lot of good corners in the league, and Sauce might be a little bit better than all of them, okay? Quinn Williams, there's only two players that you can argue that are better than him, and they're all getting to that age where they're going to start dropping. He is 25 years old. He's not even at that prime age yet, at 27, 28. He's not even there. This guy 
is going to be the best best defensive tackle in the league for the next four or five years. Okay, there is no way, and I don't want to hear about Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams didn't want to be there. Quinn Williams wants to be there. Jamal Adams was crying to his father that he wanted to play for the Cowboys. You hear the stories that he was crying to his dad in his room, a little baby. Okay, and the Jets absolutely robbed Seattle. Okay, they got Elijah Vera Tucker, who is going to be an all-pro player moving forward uh, as as a Jets guard or tackle. And they got Garrett Wilson, who was offensive rookie of the year. So great, great trade for uh, great trade for uh, Joe Douglas. Great trade, and they got a third round pick, and they got a they got a safety that that, that started for a little while. And a defensive player. As yeah, well. McDougal was the safety. He yes. only was there the one year, yes. and then he got hurt, I think. So they caught him. I am going to say this once, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. This is going to take a couple more weeks. The Jets are trying to renegotiate Aaron Rodgers' deal and pick which year it's going to be a lot of dead salary cap the Jets are going to have to pay off. And I'm hearing it's probably going to be next year. The Jets are probably going to move on from C.J. Mosley in the offseason next year. Carl Lawson will probably be gone next year. Corey Davis will be gone next year. Dwayne Brown will be gone next year. You have four players right there that Aaron Rodgers' dead cap will be 52 to $53 million next year. Okay, something like that. Those four players... And and probably Lincoln Tomlinson too. I think Lincoln Tomlinson could be gone too with all the offensive linemen they've drafted over the last couple of years as well. If Makai Beckham has a good year, I could see Lincoln Tomlinson being gone off that line as well. That's five players. All right. I do not. I repeat, I do not believe the Jets are going to trade Quinton Williams or let him go. They will give him his twenty-five to twenty-six million dollars. What they're trying to do is before they do that, they have to figure out how they're going to pay Quinn Williams next year. And I, they have to have a plan with that. And that's why they, they still haven't finished. And they're far apart from negotiations because they don't know how they're going to work Aaron Rodgers' contract. Because right now Aaron's practicing with the team and they're trying to figure out on how they're going to move forward with the team in year two with Aaron Rodgers if he comes back. So Quinn Williams will be a New York Jet. He will retire a New York Jet. That is a guarantee for all the Jet fans. You're hearing it from me. He's not getting traded. He's going nowhere. The fact that he stopped following the Jets only tells you that he is upset. Just like Debo Samuels. You heard last year, Debo Samuels stopped following the San Francisco 49ers on all his platforms. Is he following them now again? I think so. Kyler okay. Murray, too. Kyler Murray was another one. He got his contract. He started following Arizona again. Lamar Jackson, another one. Stopped following the Baltimore Ravens. Now he got his contract. So please, guys, stop it with the Quinn and Williams things. I, I, it's all stories. These guys are trying to sell a story. That's what they're doing. These guys get paid, all right? If Even if they don't know what's going on, they don't have an inside source with Joe Douglas or an assistant executive uh, on the Jets GM panel. Like they have like like an assistant GM and then a second to the the second assistant. I I think they have like three or four, you know, vice president or whatever, assistant of an assistant of a GM. They are going to sign Quinn Williams. So stop it. 
I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of watching the post that the Jets are now. They're talking about who could get him. Chicago could give up Tex, the Texas, uh, the Texans because they have money and they have uh, you know draft stock. The Jets aren't trading him. They're not. It doesn't matter about the fifth year option. They're going to give him his fifth year option. He they're going to re-sign him before I would believe OTA start. When? In July? I think 17th or something like that. Is it July? Or what? It's July 17th. July 17th. Yeah, like he will be signed before OTA start. He will be signed with the Jets before OTAs. So, calm down. Remember Darrell Rivas? Remember that whole Darrell Rivas thing when he came back and he wanted the, the extra, you know, the, the extra contract, the extra three years, and everybody was talking. I remember they were on hard knocks and he wasn't showing up. They got they got a deal done. And that was at Darrell Rivas's. I, I think that was the final two years Darrell Rivas was an NFL player. wasn't the same player right. when he went back to the Jets. But I'm just saying, Quinn Williams is in the prime, not even in, fully in the prime of his career. The Jets aren't going anywhere with him. They're going to sign him. He will be a Jet moving forward. He will retire a Jet. Game over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to hear it anymore. Okay? Stop it with the social media. Stop it with all these different writers posting up things. Where where could he go? Or what are the Jets doing? Blah, blah, blah. Joe Douglas isn't an idiot. Okay? He knows that if they have any chance of going anywhere this year, they need Quinn Williams on this roster. Period. Right. And these are probably the same Jets fans that were saying, oh, the Aaron Rodgers deal isn't going to get done. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm tired of <laughs> I'm tired of all these writers posting things up or uh, it doesn't look good for the Jets. It doesn't look this. It doesn't look that. I, I'm tired. They can't make a deal until they get this Aaron Rodgers deal done. Right. They got to figure out where the dead cap is going to go. They have to pick one in the next – they have to pick one year in the next three years or four years where they're going to – have to pay that dead cap space. And that means they're going to have to drop players. And it has to make sense. Corey Davis, Lincoln Thomason, Carl Lawson. Um, I, I just named it a bunch of Dwayne players. Brown, you Dwayne, Dwayne Brown. Uh, maybe DJ Reed. They might decide Possibly. to part ways with DJ Reed next year. Or he takes a big pay cut. Because they have Michael Carter that they're going to have to resign. Who could They can move to the two guy. Because he's, he's a great slot de- defender. Maybe they keep Michael Carter there and just extend him. And then they draft the corner. What about so, one of the tight ends? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I oh, yes. Uh, I, I believe Conklin or, or CJ. Uh, T, yeah, it's CJ Osama. Osama. It, it's one of those guys could be gone, too. I think both of them could be gone with, yeah. with, with the kid that just drafted, Kunitz, who, yeah. who they drafted in the seventh round, and uh, Rucker who they drafted from Ohio State. I mean, right. those guys could be the future of that, that, that tight end, you know, tight end room. So I, I think there could be a lot of decisions to be made next year. So I, I think it's going to be next year. So they have to figure out how they're going to be able to pay Quinn and Williams next year when they extend him. So, so guys, calm down, all right? <laughs> I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm tired of it. I have people yelling at me on, you know, text message about... And I have a lot of Jet people that follow me, that friends of mine, that tell me, what do you think they're going to do with Quinn Williams? Where is he going? I said, he's going nowhere. Where is he going? Where I, I think the Cowboys are interested. He's not going to the Cowboys. Who's for that rumor, Nathan? <laughs> he's not going to the Cowboys. He's not, he's not going to Chicago. He's not going to the Texans. He's not going anywhere. So stop. Stop with this. It's ridiculous. Finally, he develops into the player that everybody thought he was going to be. That was, that was the last um, Mike McCagnan move that actually worked. Okay? 
And and now all of a sudden they're going to let him go and try to stock up on draft picks. It's ridiculous. He's a generational type of player. Right. You don't find those players. It's very hard to find a defensive tackle as good as him. Twelve and a half sacks. What was this? His third year? His fourth year? His fourth year. So stop it, guys. I don't want to hear it anymore. All right, Speedy, you ready for Bracket Wars? Yes, it is a Bracket Wars Final Four. It's time for Bracket. 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 It's time, it's time for Bracket, bracket Wars. Wars. All right, so the Final Four will feature <laughs> a battle of two Chicago teams to start this one out. The number three seeded, the Blackhawks of the 2010s versus the number one seeded, Chicago Bulls of the mid to late 1990s. All right, number three seed, 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. 2009-2010 season, 112 points. Second most in the Western Conference. Beat the Predators, Canucks, and Sharks in the playoffs. Beat the Flyers in the Stanley Cup Finals. 2010-2011 season, 97 points. Number eight seed in the Western Conference lost to the Canucks in the first round of the playoffs. 2011 and 2012 season, 101 points. Fifth most in the Western Conference lost to the Coyotes in the first round of the playoffs. 2012-2013 season, lockout, shortened year, 48 games, 77 points, most in the NHL. Beat the Wild and Red Wings and Kings in the playoffs and beat the Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals. 2013 and 14 season, 107 points, fifth most in the Western Conference. Beat the Blues in the Wild in the playoffs. Lost against the Kings in the Western Conference Finals. And 2014-2015 season, 102 points. Fourth most in the Western Conference. Beat the Predators, Wild, and Ducks in the playoffs. And beat the Lightning in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Obviously, Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, key guys, well, we all know. Patrick Kane, Marion Hoser, okay? Uh, uh, Thames. This is, a, and, and arguably, one of the best coaches in this generation. Even though he... He doesn't know how to control his team behind closed doors. Uh, this guy has one of the best playoff records out of any coach in in Quinville in, in NHL history. I mean, Scotty Bowman, like, that's 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 his record in the playoffs. It's unbelievable. Three Stanley Cups in Chicago. Right, and that's his record of the regular season, too. Scotty Bowman's the winningest coach in NHL history by, like, 300 wins. And guess who's second? Joel Quenville surpassed Al Arbor, I think, his last year with Chicago before he got fired. And you talk about so many Hall of Fame talents, so many guys that were the best at their positions in that particular time. Even somebody like Marion Hossa, who played with a lot of different teams even before Hall he of came to Chicago. Hall of Famer, too, that should get more credit than he does. Duncan Keith, I thought, was the best defenseman in the league at that time. Patrick Kane was probably the best winger, maybe besides mm -hmm. Ovechkin in the league at that time. So, so much talent galore. Number one seed, Chicago Bulls of the mid and late 90s. 93-94 season, 55-27 and 27, regular season record. Third in the Eastern Conference, beat the Cavaliers in the first round, lost to the Knicks in the second round. 1994-95 season, 47-35. and 35, Regular season record, fifth in the Eastern Conference, beat the Hornets in the first round of the playoffs, lose against the Magic in the second round as the return of Michael Jordan. 95-96 season, 72-10 and 10 record, best record in the NBA, beat the Heat, Knicks, Magic in the playoffs, and then beat the Supersonics in the NBA Finals. 96-97 season, 69-13 and 13 record, best in the NBA, beat the Bullets, Hawks, and Heat in the playoffs, and beat the Jazz in the NBA Finals. And then... 97-98 season, 62-20 and 20 record, tied for the best in the NBA. Beat the Nets, Hornets, and Pacers in the playoffs and beat the Utah Jazz again in the NBA Finals. Key players, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper, and the great Phil Jackson. And who do I think is going to win this? It's not even an argument. It's the number one seed, Chicago Bulls. 
of the 1990s. This was one of the greatest basketball teams of all time uh, with arguably the best rebounder of all time and one of the best defensive players at his position of all time. You have the best player of all time in probably any sport, in my argument. And then Scottie Pippen, who's one of the best defensive players of all time as well at any position. So uh, this team was loaded. Ron Harper, Hall of, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, this team was loaded defensively. Tony Kukoc was a, I think he was Sixth Man of the Year, two out of those three years when they won the championship. I mean, they were sensational, sensational. So yeah, it's a record-setting year. So you talk about the seventy-two and ten year too, and another sixty-six win season or whatever it was. And like Michael Jordan didn't even play at a Game Seven in the NBA Finals. Like that has to say something. Chicago, the Blackhawks, talking about them. They had a lot of deeper playoff series where they played in Game Seven, including a lot against the LA Kings. The Bulls were just that dominant where they barely played in the Game Seven at all. Even in Michael Jordan's tenure, too. I have to go with the Bulls on this one, too. It was a great run for the Blackhawks, but it ends here against their counterparts in the United States. It went pretty far. Yeah, they did. Yep, they upset the 49ers in the last run who were the two seed, but just couldn't get past this powerhouse of a Bulls team. So, mm-hmm. Bulls take the first spot in the championship, and they will take on the winner of the number two seed Edmonton Oilers of the 1980s and the number one seed 1990s New York Yankees. 1981-82 season for the Oilers, 111 points, second most in the NHL. Lost to the Kings in the second round of the playoffs. 1982-83 season, 106 points, second most in the NHL. Beat the Jets, Flames, and the Blackhawks in the playoffs. Lost to the Islanders in the Stanley Cup. 1983-84 season, 119 points, most in the NHL. Beat the Jets, Flames, and North Stars in the playoffs. And then beat the Stanley Cup champion, New York Islanders, in 83-84. The end of the dynasty. 84-85 season, 109 points, second most in the NHL. Beat the Kings, Jets, and Blackhawks in the playoffs. Beat the Flyers in the Stanley Cup. 1985 and 86 season, 119 points, most in the NHL. Lost against the Flames in the conference finals. 1986-87 season, 106 points, most in the NHL. Beat the Kings, Jets, and Red Wings in the playoffs. Beat the Flyers in the Stanley Cup Finals. 87-88 season, 99 points, third most in the NHL. Beat the Jets, Flames, and Red Wings in the playoffs. And beat the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup Finals. Key players, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, Yari Curry, Grand Fjord, Glenn Anderson, T.S.A. Tikkanen. I mean, you go down and, I mean, hold it, Kevin Lowe. uh, Probably one of the greatest hockey teams ever assembled. I mean, this, uh, in the prime, uh, some of these guys were in the primes of their careers. They're the best at their positions in the time, a 10-year span, they were the best at their positions. I mean, Paul Coffey. Was the best defenseman best in the league. Best offensive defenseman of all time. Yeah, but he was the best defenseman in the league at that time. Mark Messi was probably the second best center in the league at that time. Wayne Gretzky was the best best player in the world. Yari Curry, Hall of Famer, was one of the best offensive players in the league. Wingman in the NHL. Grant Fjord was one of the best goalies in the league, if not the best goalie in the league for like a four or five year span. And Glenn Anderson's a Hall of Famer too. Another guy, gritty player, mean, rough. And could put the puck in the net as well. So, fantastic team. Really sensational. Right. And they accumulate a lot of depth, like you were saying, too. Glenn Anderson, too. I think they had Mike Gartner for a little yeah. bit, even later on, too. Like, this is a team that really stayed together for a while. Like you said, Paul Coffey's probably the best offensive defenseman of all time. People forget best... how good Matt Gartner was, too. Yeah, he, Mike Gartner. 700 was, goals. Right. Insane. And the numbers he put up, too. And Glenn Sather, a coach, too, that was there for a while, too, before he went other places. And Wayne Gretzky, I think everyone thinks, is the greatest hockey player of all time. Maybe besides a few that think it might be Bobby Orr or somebody like that. But, like, Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux, okay. But, yeah, like even so, like it's tough to get away from the star power of that team. That was an offensive juggernaut for an era of hockey that wasn't very offensive. 
Uh, number one seed, 1990s New York Yankees. 1995 season, shortened season, 79-65 record. Wild card team, lost against the Mariners in the ALDS. 96 season, 92-70 record, best record in the American League. Beat the Rangers and Orioles in the playoffs and beat the Braves in the World Series. 97 season, 96-66 and 66 record, second best in the American League. Lost against the Indians in the ALDS. 1998 season, 114 and. 48 record, best M- best in the MLB, beat the Rangers and Indians in the playoffs, and beat the Padres in the World Series. One of the greatest records in Major League history, by the way. 1999 season, 98-64 and 64 record, best in the American League, beat the Rangers and Red Sox in the playoffs, and then beat the Braves in the World Series. 2000 season, 87-74 uh, and 74 record, fifth best in the American League, beat the Athletics and Mariners in the playoffs, and beat the Mets in the World Series. 2001 season, 95-65 and 65 record, third best in the American League, beat the Athletics and Mariners in the playoffs, lost to the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Key players, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, Mariano Rivera, Jimmy Key, you name it, Wade Box, and, I mean, Scott Brocious, I, Paul O'Neill. This team was loaded. Tino, Tino Martinez. I, I mean... This team in the 90s was as good a franchise as we ever seen the Yankee franchises when they were great in the 50s and the 60s as well. With Babe Ruth in the 40s and 30s and, and Joe DiMaggio and, and Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris years and Yogi Berra. I mean, this was as good as any one of those teams. So, yeah. Who do you have? I, I was going to say, it probably re-sparked the Yankees, or baseball dynasties as a whole, too. That's why I think I'm going to give the slight edge to the Yankees. Like, the star power is very similar on both ends. Like, Wayne Gretzky is probably the best player of either team, but, like, the Yankees still have a lot of it. But there weren't a lot of dynasties in baseball, really, after the Yankees in the 50s. Like, you were talking about Mickey Mann, all those teams. And, yeah, the Reds had a little bit, the Athletics, but there weren't, like, big ones. I think the last dynasty in baseball after the Yankees was... The, the Giants. That's probably the only one if you think about it because like there's a lot of these teams they win one year and they'll fall off the next. Even the Giants did that too. Like they were like at every other year type of team yeah. too. There weren't as much consistent success that the Yankees had so I'm going to give the slight edge to the Yankees. <sighs> it's so hard. Yeah. This is so hard and everybody would think that I would go with the Yankees and I know I'm a Yankee fan but it, it's just so hard. I, I Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, Yari Curry, Grant Fuhr, Glenn Henderson but I'm going to slightly give it to the Yankees. Uh, Very, very slight because of what the Yankees did in the 98 season was one of the greatest baseball seasons. Uh, One of the greatest records. You'll probably probably never see this record be broken. Uh, I I mean, uh, this was was the best win record of all time, right? Uh, Until the Mariners broke it the next year. And the Yankees beat that team, too. (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, so this was the second best record in Major League history, 114 and 48. And I I remember Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill saying this is – they're the greatest team they've ever played, you know, played for. So just imagine. And that Padres team stunk. When they went to the World Series, there was no doubt they were going to sweep them. Okay? Yeah. It, was, it wasn't it was even close. Cam, uh, Cam Kimenetti, uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, Hoffman. It, it didn't matter. They stunk. All right? And they, they had no business playing the Yankees in the World Series. But... I'm going slightly with the Yankees of the 90s. Slightly. It will be a battle of the 2-1 seeds. The Chicago Bulls of the 90s, the New York Yankees of the 90s. Which dynasty will win the first ever Bracket Wars? There you go. Team Bracket Wars. And after Team Bracket Wars, we're going to go with players of the respectable sports. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That is really interesting because – 
I, I always say Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete I've ever seen. And I, I think the greatest player of all time. But depending on how, how he matches up against some of these athletes, you can argue. You know, Michael Phelps, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, singly, as a team, Michael Jordan's the greatest. I mean, as a single player, I don't. You, you can argue. You can argue Tiger Woods. You can uh, argue yeah. a lot of different yeah. players in respectable sports. So it's 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 very interesting, and that's that's what we're going to do with Bracket Wars moving up next. And, you know, we'll figure out ways how we can compare and contrast the Bracket Wars as we move forward in uh, in this segment every single time we do this. So, uh, But right now we're, we're going to the finals, the two number one seeds. The 1990 Yankees, that, that's all of the 90 Yankees against the late 90 Chicago Bulls. I believe the greatest basketball team to ever play in, in, of NBA basketball. You're talking about all the greats, the, the Dynasty Lakers, and I'm talking about when, when they were the Showtime Lakers. And I'm not even talking about the Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant Lakers when they were dominant too. People forget how great they were too. Uh, the Celtics and, you know, all the different years the Celtics were in the dominance they were. And and like I said, it, it's it's crazy when you look at all these great NBA teams. And and I, I, I there's no argument. I would put that Bulls team against anybody and they would beat anybody, anybody, even the Golden State Warriors, where everybody was trying to compare <laughs> their great year against the Chicago Bulls. They're out of their minds thinking that that Golden State Warrior team with Kevin Durant could beat that Chicago Bulls team. Not a chance in hell. I and you can ask Steve Kerr. Don't ask. And he coached. He coached the Golden State. If you sat down and asked Steve Kerr who would win in a seven game series, he would tell you it wouldn't even be close. Okay, the funny that's thing a is, fact. The funny thing is, if if that parallel universe somehow happened where we could actually see these teams play, how would Steve Kerr game plan to coach against himself? That's that's interesting too. <laughs> and he he was the shooter of those teams. Yeah. I mean, it went, went went from Paxton to him. You right. know, it was the two. Two shooters, the Paxton, Paxton in the early, late 80s, early 90s, and then it was Steve Kerr in the late 90s. And, and the Bulls always had to, had to have that unbelievable shooter, and Steve Kerr was that in the late 90s. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to ex-Devil and Blues winger Cam Jansen for joining us. Thank you to Rob Ray, ex-Saber and Senator, to join us. I want to apologize to the fans, but, you know, he had... Uh, he had problems with his phone and his line, but uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. He was fantastic. He really was. As I told Speedy to make sure before the show starts to make sure that their phones are well. So maybe Speedy will listen to me moving forward again that uh, to test these phones because I want I want the fans to hear these great interviews, especially with these sensational ex-players that we have and even players that we have in the league that are coming on. We should have Baker Mayfield on. We have, who do we have on tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow we were going to have the one that we're supposed to have on next week. And yes, I will be testing him in the morning. We already have that plan already in set. A guy that played against Michael Jordan many times. That would be Chris Childs. That is the only one known for now. I reached out to a couple of other our other football experts. We'll see if we get one of them on too. But definitely Chris Childs, 1030. That'll be fun. Chris Childs, a lot of content tomorrow, so stay tuned. Uh, I, I want to apologize to all the fans uh, that was, was expecting Chris to come on last week. He had problems with his... Uh, computer and his internet over there so we couldn't get him on so we were we will test it uh before the show tomorrow to get chris childs on it will be a good one i'm telling you i have a lot of questions uh to get into especially i, I would have loved to talk to him when the knicks were in the playoffs to see to hear his thoughts of this team from his team uh of the 90s but uh it'll be interesting to hear what he had what he's been doing uh since he hasn't been playing professional basketball and uh 
where he sees the NBA going in the future, especially with LeBron James on his way out and in the future as uh, we, we see the future NBA players going to be drafted in this coming draft and arguably the greatest prospect in NBA history going to be drafted at number one. To who? The San Antonio Spurs. So we'll be back tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. As we always do, uh, keep listening to us. Check us out at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Thank you, Jeff, for pissing me off, as always. <laughs> Stug being snug and all the fans just uh, you know following and tuning in every single week. And, and, again, thank you to Cam Jansen and Rob Ray. You guys are fantastic. We'll be back tomorrow, 9 p.m. Good night. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.